see Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's game day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sacks Harlan. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Hope you're having an enjoyable Sunday morning. Chris Black, Fred Huebner with you here on ESPN for the next three hours. And Chris, Justified won the uh, Kentucky Derby. Yeah, yeah. A horse won the Kentucky Derby. I, I'm excited to see what's next for the horse. Yes. You know, because, Fred, if we could get a triple crown winner, I think uh, since it's been so long since our last triple crown winner, if we can get one, I think it might have a chance to save the sport. So yeah. I, I can't wait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The only thing I will tell you is... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the only thing I will tell you is I had $25 in bets. My yeah. wife and I like to bet the race and I'm watching it on TV at home. Uh, last night I couldn't watch it. I was going to the fire game, so I missed the race. But um, when I pulled up to the OTB, they mm-hmm. had a band in the parking lot. There was no place to park, and they had drive through for you to make your bets. I waited for 15 minutes to make the bets, and I'm saying to myself, if all these people... That bet on the Derby yeah. would go to the track on a regular basis. Sure. Racing would make a comeback. But everybody gets all geeked up for one race, uh-huh. and then they then they don't. If they have fun and you're ex- – I mean, Waddle won money, sure. from what I understand. Yeah. You would think Waddle's going to be at Arlington every Saturday now. No he's chance. not working. No shot. Well, he should. You know, dress up. But he looked very, very nice. My wife saw Waddle and Sylvie, and she goes, their clothes don't match. I said, <laughs> ah. That's them dressing up. Don't worry about it. Are they supposed to match? Well, yeah. See, my wife's got this thing. She likes everything to match. Like, even in, in the house, she likes the, you know, uh, the furniture. If people say contrast. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like contrast. Okay. So Fair enough. You know. So Aren't you the king of contrast, though? Well, I'm, I'm the king of something. I don't know what <laughs> it is. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. So, uh, the Cubs are playing again tonight huh. in St. Louis. Huh. And the game is the Sunday night game of the week. Yes, and it is. It'll be so cool because we're going to get a chance to hear on TV a guy that is just, he has fun calling baseball. Tyler Houston. Houston with a drive well hit to right center. If you don't think to me, you've got any pudding. How can you have any pudding if you don't think to me? Lindor bounces it to second. Baez to Russell to Rizzo, and the Cubs get out of it again. Hunta Maria. Matt Vaskersian from ESPN, nice enough to join us here this morning. Fred Huebner, Chris Black. Matt, how are you today? Good, guys. Man, I can't stand listening to my own stuff. That is a tired <laughs> act, isn't it? It is. It is. But, you know, I had to throw at least one of them in because I got, I got to tell you, and I, and I know you went off to better things and you didn't completely leave, but my routine the last couple of years, every day, Monday through Friday, because I work weird hours, nighttime, weekends, as, as you're witnessing, um, my, Monday through Friday, my routine was get up, 
get something to eat, sit in front of the TV, watch MLB Central. Because you and D-Row and Lauren Shahadi were a show in itself. And then you gave us baseball highlights. And, uh, you know, I understand Robert Flores. It's going to take him a little while to fit in. He's a great guy. He's more quirky, I think, than you, believe it or not. Um, but we miss you on uh, Monday through Friday mornings. Uh, that's nice to say. And I, I miss being with those guys. That was um, th- that show was hard to do because it's long, and you don't have the crutch. It's the only show on MLB Network really doesn't have the crutch that's that long, that is, of looking at live games and just taking a blow for a sec. Um, because we're on at 10 a.m., as you know, but appreciate that. It was fun to do, and, you know, who knows? Maybe down the road we'll all do something again together. Those two, those two are great. Lauren and, and D-Row are awesome to work with. As we take a look at the Cubs uh, early in the season, 16 and 14, to you, what surprises you more, the struggles for the pitching staff or the, the lineup, the bats for the Chicago Cubs? I, I think it's the bats, and Rizzo in particular. I just I can't get around the fact that um, this is one of the better players in, in the game, and he's healthy, uh, and inexplicably, you know, he's sitting under the Mendoza line right now. And there's one on the other side, too, Matt Carpenter, same story who's just, for whatever reason, you know, Carpenter claims to be healthy. There's not a physical problem there. It makes you wonder about some of the philosophical changes that teams are starting to install that either play into all the launch angle nonsense or try to get them out of it. And in either case, there's probably a player or two who's caught in between. In fact, if we go into the league, I mean, uh, I could probably name a somebody off of each roster who seems to be that guy who, for whatever reason, uh, the, the philosophy, the new swing dynamics, and what he's trying to do aren't quite jiving. And I'm, I'm not saying that's the case with Anthony Rizzo. And They brought in Chili Davis, I think, to get back to contact and get back to kind of hitting fundamentals. Uh, but it's a curious thing, and I, I hope that when we get to the ballpark today, somebody will be willing to talk to us about it. You know, Matt, obviously you're a baseball guy. You've done it all. You called minor league games. You've done the uh, the pro game. You called international games. How have you been able to adjust? I'm an old guy, so I'm trying to figure out how to adjust to a game that has, in the first half, first month, more strikeouts than hits, 35% of all plate appearances, a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. How have you adjusted to that? Because that's not the way the game used to be. I know, back in the day, all those things. But how have you adjusted to it? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you with the back-in-the-day stuff. And the biggest challenge for me, and I'm not sure I've made the adjustment, is to not be cranky about it on the air. <laughs> because the, the modern version of our game isn't as good as it was in the past. And, you know, you could say that about anything. I, you could say this about your favorite musical artist. You could say this about your favorite style of movie. But it, it really is true. The, key, the thing with baseball is this, and Tony Gwynn is probably the best hitter that I've spent the most amount of time around in my life. And Tony used to say, it's about making contact. And that's a lost art now. As you mentioned, it's the three true outcomes. It's homers, walks, and strikeouts. And so while run scoring is still there, that has remained at a constant level through all this, the contact is not. So that the result is for the fan, and just for the fan, you're not seeing people moving around. Nobody runs, because if it's a punch-out, a walk, or a homer, the most you get is a guy jogging around the bases. You don't, you don't have anybody running to the ball to field it. You don't have anybody sprinting across the bags to try to score. 
And, and I, that's the biggest challenge for me is, is watching and understanding that's where the game's going. That's how hitting is being taught. I mean, it's the point where and Houston's been kind of in front of a lot of this for the last couple of years. There's a device that you can put on the knob of a bat. Yep. It's called Blast Metrics, right? And it's a big thing now. And all these kids at the developmental levels of baseball, even pro baseball, kids that are in A-ball and double-A, they put this thing on their bat, they get it in the right slot, quote-unquote, and then that leads to the kind of swing path that'll that'll lift the ball and hit home runs. The, the old-school style of hitting flatline drives, backspin, that's all gone, and I miss it already. Well, and the one thing earlier this week, uh, Ichiro stepped away. Still dressed up and took batting practice, but he won't be playing for the Mariners. I won't be on the 40-man. And when they were showing his highlights on uh, MLB Central and on ESPN, I'm sitting there going, that's the way baseball was. He just he sticks his bat out and hits one to left center, right center. And then all of a sudden, hey, there's a ball in his sweet spot and he turns out and hits it for a home run. That's what's missing in the game nowadays. And even Joe Madden says it quite a bit last year and he says it this year. He goes, he wants his hitters to move the ball around and that's not done anymore. Yeah, you know, there are a couple examples there. You know, the Dodgers are struggling right now too, kind of like the Cubs and injuries are more of a part of their story, but they didn't have Justin Turner still don't and and his absence has been profound in that lineup you can say what you will about having Puig on the DL and Seager those are huge blows but Turner was the only guy they had in that lineup that could actually manipulate an at-bat based on the count change what you're going to do based on the count shorten up take the base hit to the opposite field instead of looking for the three-run home run with every swing regardless of count regardless of situation Those, those guys are missed I mean, I, I, I think it's all cyclical, though, and the good news is that this is how I keep myself uh, calm about this issue because it's a crisis. The strikeout thing is an epidemic. It's all going to be cyclical, and it's going to come around again to where the baseball intel, uh, the, the, you know, the numbers-driven community, the sabermetrics guys who are down there with their laptops right next to the clubhouse, they're going to realize at some point we need to change our DNA. The same way the Astros changed their DNA from one year to another after leading the league in strikeouts to amassing the fewest strikeouts the following year and not coincidentally winning a World Series. So the value of that contact hitter is going to come back. We might not have a whole lineup populated with those guys like we may have in the past, but they're going to, they're going to be important moving forward. Until that change is made across baseball, you know, Fred and I have had this conversation for many weekends here because Fred is the older baseball fan. I'm the newer guy and the younger guy. And when you look at it, the strikeouts or the home run, is that going to affect the long-term fandom for, for most people because they see a game that is boring? I know we talked about there's no running going on, but what do you think the long-term effect of the game right now is for the future of baseball? Yeah, that's a fear. I mean, that's a fear of mine, certainly, as a guy that uh, that loves the game, who has, you know, some interest in in the game's health. Um, I, I don't know if I don't know if fans have made that connection though, because I think a casual fan uh, who goes to the ballpark is a different breed of fan than the one who sits home and watches his team, his or her team, on TV uh, regularly. I think a lot of people go to baseball and enjoy baseball simply for the social experience of being at the ballpark, being outside, the summer ritual of going someplace with your kids or with your family or with your pals, having a couple of pops and enjoying yourself. That's a different person 
than the person that's you know playing fantasy league, home watching the games, looks at the scores on his MLB.com app all the time. You know that's a different guy. So I I think fan A, the ballpark animal, is always going to be happy with the product regardless. And those are the people, by the way, who didn't want any time of game changes to take place. Right? They like the game the way it is. When they go to the ballpark, they don't care if it's three and a half hours. They don't. They, people that went to the ballpark yesterday to watch the Cubs and Cardinals and sat through a almost four-hour game with 11 walks and 13 pitching changes, they didn't care about that. But if you were watching that one on TV and you were coming in and out of your day, you might have been like, oh, God, this game just won't end. I got stuff to do. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah. I actually had to extend the DVR because I was I was there and I was walking out of the house and go, oh, this game's going to keep going. <laughs> I got to extend the DVR. Matt Vaskersian from ESPN, hope you on the call tonight. The uh, Cubs and the Cardinals, nice enough to join us. Another couple quick minutes. The Cubs and Cardinals, is this the best National League rivalry in baseball? Because, you know, for the last f- several years, we've been able to see each and every Yankee Red Sox game, even if we didn't want to. Uh, we've been forced <laughs> to see each and every one. Is this Cardinals Cubs still the best rivalry in the National League or the best one besides the Yankees Red Sox? Yeah, I think that's the perception. Uh, and, and it's, look, I get it. I, I could probably, from a baseball standpoint, uh, give you ones that I'm a little bit more interested in personally, but I think the general the general take from everybody is it's about Red Sox, Yankees, and Cubs, Cardinals, and then you know the numbers bear that out. I think when when MLB Network launched in 2009, we all had this pie in the sky idea that we were going to cover all teams equally, and we would do a Marlins Pirates game the same way we would we would uh, do a Red Sox Yankees game in terms of frequency. Well. You start getting inside the ratings and the numbers and what people care about, and that didn't move the needle as much. Cubs-Cardinals is something everybody likes. Uh, everybody, I say with air quotes. Red Sox-Yankees, same thing. And I get it. A lot of people get tired of that same dialogue, but it's always interesting. The Cardinals are always interesting. The Cubs are always interesting. I would suggest as a fan that Brewers-Cubs is a little more appealing to me uh, just because if the Brewers are ever going to consider themselves legit contenders in the division, they got to get around the Cubs, and they can't. Uh, and they're closer in proximity to one another than these two cities are. So that's that one for me is a little more interesting, but this is still always great as well. One of the big hot-button topics in uh, Chicago baseball at the start of the season is the struggles of you Darvish. Do you think the, the Cubs made the right decision in signing you Darvish in the offseason, or should they have stuck with Jake Arrieta and re-signed him? Well, I mean, I think the jury's out on that one based on performance. I know that you know they were hoping that with Tyler Chatwood, who was not particularly sharp again yesterday, uh, they will have, they would have made the two moves that kind of got them past how much they missed Jake Arietta. And I think that they projected a little bit of performance on Jake. He's older, and, you know, 2015 is now two and a half years in the rearview mirror. There wasn't anybody better in the second half of that season than Arietta. But at the price his agent was talking about, and that's a, he's a Scott Boris client, and look, the winter did not go particularly well for all the Scott Boris clients. Um you know, J.D. Martinez probably thought he was going to get a bigger payday. Mike Moustakas had to go back on a one-year deal to Kansas City. Uh, Greg Holland didn't have a deal until the season began, and that's not really worked out very well. And Arietta signed for 375 and 
really, I don't know if the Cubs, if they thought the market was going to come back to that number, maybe they would have been more involved. Uh, they had already moved on Darvish, and they got a guy that they probably projected bigger things from based on age, based on upside, where he's at in his career. I don't know. There are a lot of people that feel like Darvish's implosion in the World Series was because the Astros had his pitches, and there are people that swear by that. The Astros had it. They knew it was coming. There are other people that say, you know, it was just him being flat. He was throwing hard, but nothing was moving. So I, I don't know which guy the Cubs bought. If it's the guy that, that was tipping pitches, that's correctable. If it's a guy that became suddenly hittable because he didn't have the, the kind of stuff that he wanted, that might be a concern. What's it like working? I know it's just uh, uh, several games now, but what's it like working with a three-person booth with A-Rod and Jessica? You know, we all like each other, and that, that part of it's been great because we, we're all friendly with each other and we enjoy each other's company. Um, the three-person booth's a little bit of a challenge, though, Fred. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It's because you're, you know, Jessica sits in the middle. And I sometimes I'm trying to see if Alex uh, looking around her. She's looking at Alex, and I don't know what it, either one of them's thinking. Or if, it, it, it leads to a lot of stepping on each other is is kind of what it gets to. But I think when it works well, and it does more often than not, and it, it gets better with time, it's really refreshing for a fan to hear three voices. And you know, it's not without its controversy. I mean, Alex has his detractors. Uh, Jess is still kind of trailblazing as a woman in a in a male kind of culture. So I know there are people out there that are listening, and, and there's always that gotcha listener that just wants us to miss something sure. or wants us to make a mistake so they can tweet about it. But we're having a good time, and I hope people are enjoying it. I hope people can watch the game and not listen to the announcers. You know what I mean by that? Like, we're all listening to the announcers, but just just watch the game and let the announcers either add to it or turn us down. Don't, don't get all hyperactive about what we're doing, because we're enjoying it ourselves. Uh, one last thing as we let you go. We appreciate you jumping out for a few minutes. You mentioned the Mendoza line a little bit earlier. It's going to have to change to Jessica, because all these young fans I don't know who, what you're talking about anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? I never processed I never thought about that. I should ask Jessica about that. I don't. Even, she might even be related to Mario Mendoza somehow. That could be very compromising if she is. But you're right. The Mario. I, we're going to have to attach a first name to that ad. It's, sure. it's got to be the Mario Mendoza line now. Gosh. Or else, wow. or else she's been taking credit for. It. I don't know what it is. What how it goes. Uh, you know. Uh, Really glad you guys called this morning. That's on my radar now. Matt, we really appreciate it. A couple times you were in Chicago. I, I found you on the street and said hi. I was I was the the uh, the pain that, that recognized you. You probably thought you'd go out for a bagel or something, and no one would would recognize you. But I did a couple times here in town. And one time it was an Aaron Water show, and you looked up in the sky and you looked and said, "What the hell's going on here?" I said, "Yeah, they do this. They do this once a year. It gets a little crazy here." So appreciate your calls. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you on the street a couple times. And and we really appreciate you jumping on for a couple minutes today. Nice talking to you guys. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, Matt. Matt Vasgersian, ESPN play-by-play guy. He'll be with Jessica Mendoza and A-Rod later on tonight as the Cubs try to snap a four-game losing streak. And yesterday they scored four runs early, and you go, okay, mm-hmm. this thing's this thing's going the right direction now. And I went and did something. I came back, and it was 4-4. Four to four. Yeah, uh, the pitching staff not being able to find the strike zone. And, and the walks and being 13th in baseball and walk percentage right now, 
not good for the pitching staff. So even when you have the bats show up, Fred, uh, you still don't have the ability to hold off the other team. And then that's going to be an issue as we go forward. And I get it. It's early. Everyone keeps telling us this, Fred, every single week. Yeah. It's early until it's not. And uh, this series is important because last year, you look at Cubs Cardinals, the games between those two teams were the reason why the Cubs got into the playoffs mm-hmm. and the Cardinals did not. Yeah, I mean they so, had other than that series, they were they had the same record, right? Yeah, same record yeah. outside of that matchup. So, you know, that's why it's important. Um the Cubs were in first place last week, now they're two and a half back. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's just what we have to do is just keep an eye on this stuff. Right, because you know it, it's something as we go through the summer. I know Addison Russell has gotten a couple hits as of late. He's looked a little better at the plate, yeah, but he hasn't been out of this world like Javi Baez has. And we're going to need to see Addison Russell go on a tear to kind of bring up all the numbers that have been missing to this point in the season. Something we talked about last Sunday on mm-hmm. the show, you know. And Matt mentioned Rizzo, and Rizzo mm-hmm. has homers in three of the last four games. Sure, he was two for five yesterday. He's hitting one eighty-seven. I know, I know. Averages don't mean anything. He's got a five ninety-four OPS. He has four walks since um, and none since April twentieth. According to what Madden said yesterday, he's putting bad pitches in play. These are pitches he wouldn't have swung at last year. Now he's swinging at those because he's getting a little desperate. I know I saw him working with Chili Davis, um, you know, earlier during the week. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. You want to talk Cubs? We got Jesse coming up at ten. Nick Friedel at eleven. We'll get to the NBA. Uh, I only saw eight seconds of basketball last night, but they were pretty exciting. Eight seconds. Were, were they the eight seconds where no Toronto Raptor tried to get in the way of LeBron James at all? I could. Were, were those the eight seconds, yeah. Fred? Don't you yeah. don't you double team somebody? Yeah, I mean, What's the point in going, going to the going corner on? and covering somebody else? I mean, really? Yeah. CJ Miles just standing and watching. He was doing what everyone else in the stands. Were yeah. doing, but he was a player he just, just on the court. He wasn't. He wasn't watching. on the bench for that play. He was just standing in the corner. Yeah. Like, here's the key, right? LeBron gets the ball in the backcourt. You have to throw two people at him, and if he gets past your trap, then fine. Yeah. But you have to try and force the ball out of his hand. Right. Maybe he passes it to Love. I would just stick those two guys there. Stick with LeBron sure. all the way through the play. And if Kevin Love hits a 30-footer to send them on uh, 3-0 in the series, then fine. You live with it. But LeBron running by himself down the court yep. hits the shot. I mean, the Raptors are single-handedly allowing us to have the conversation of Jordan and LeBron yeah. because they are so bad. Yeah, they you know they are. And the, the one thing, a couple things interested me about that last shot. Might as well get him in right now. Um one of them was Hubie Brown was on the game. I, it was funny because I looked on my phone and my phone said 103, 103 with eight seconds. I said, okay, well, I said, I'll turn it on TV. And I said, well, why would I do that? I got my phone yeah. out already. So ESPN I just, app. Yeah. Boom. So I just watched it on the ESPN app and I, I hear Hubie Brown and Hubie said, this is interesting. They're not going to take the ball in midcourt. Mm-hmm. They're going to take it and go the length of the court. They're going to lose about two or three seconds. Yeah. That was, that was a coaching decision. And, a pretty smart one because they this way if they weren't only half court they would have had to either throw the ball into the back court find an open yeah. guy it's a little bit tougher to get the ball in you know there here it was no problem got the ball to LeBron LeBron came up court and went well okay so is it no problem because of the end result and because of the way the Raptors play defense on that possession or uh, because I know the way the analytics would say is that you would advance the ball. Yeah. And most coaches, like Almost Brad Stevens, everyone would advance yeah. the ball. Um, and I know I saw Windhorse tweet the same thing, and a lot of people kind of 
going after him being like, yeah, because it worked out. It, it, that play worked because it worked out because right. LeBron's amazing. But, you know, if the Raptors would have done what I suggested and doubled LeBron in the backcourt, the play's dead. You would think. You know, you're yeah. stuck in the water because the closest guy was at half court and it was Kevin Love yeah. or the inbound pass. And like, so, okay, then you're going backwards. Now you're at five seconds. You're 70 feet away from the hoop. You know, like, I get that it worked and it was easy, but that's because the lack of resistance from the Raptors allowed it to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think most um, basketball coaches would say advancing and doing it that way would be the right play. But you're right, Fred. The, the way it looked and the way it, it kind of lucked out for, for Cleveland, they're up 3-0. And, yeah, it was easy. Yeah, Boom. it was real easy. We'll talk, we'll talk more about LeBron's shot. We'll talk more NBA. Nick Friedel joining us at 11. We come back. I want to talk a little bit more about the Cubs. Good. And I really like Kyle Schwarber. But he cannot play left field. We'll talk about that. We come back. Your call is at 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner on Chicago's Game Day each and every Sunday. Now, what was the answer? I didn't hear the answer when uh, you asked Abdallah what the hell's going on. He hasn't been here now for three weeks. Uh, he said that it's festival season <laughs> and that it was something else. Is Basically, Ryan West coming season. up for he said wedding, wedding season, season as well. Yeah. Okay, I mean, okay, all right. Was it Riot Fest well, coming it, up or it, one of those fests he likes to go to? It's good to know, Fred, where we stand on his priority list. Sure, it's nice. Yeah, it's good to absolutely. Know. All right. We'll see how um, it is. Yeah, okay. so those those guys will all be back on Monday along with Cap, beginning at uh, nine o'clock on Monday night, and uh, let's see what happens tonight. You you have Sunday night baseball as the Cubs take on the Cardinals. You can watch it with Matt Vasgersian, Jessica Mendoza, and Alex Rodriguez on TV, and or you can listen to it here. We have it on uh, ESPN later on this evening. And uh, the Cubs need a victory. They've dropped four in a row, and uh, yesterday was an interesting game. It did go a while, but... Definitely was not uh, without its share of interesting things. Hold to left. Schwarber will come in. He leaves his feet, and he makes the catch. Well, off the bat, it looked like it was going to be fairly routine, but uh, a couple steps back, then uh, maybe a brief pause to size things up, and then he comes streaking in and finally able to put it away. Boy, J.D. is, is really <laughs> trying to make it sound good. Let's go to, let's go to another adventure in left. Carpenter, yeah. no batting gloves. And these guys... Oh, oh no. Schwarber falls down, and he caught it. Oh, man. That's scary. And literally, his shoe came off. I got a little wardrobe malfunction out there. Great concentration, Schwarbs. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Let's see what happened here. Trying to do a crossover step there. Gets tangled up and then blows a tire at some point. You talk about not panicking. Wow. Okay. Maybe he caught a spike in the top of his shoe. We've seen everything, and now we've got to reshoe him. I love, I love Jim Deshays. Listen to the last one, and this is the one that really was a key factor. This happened a little bit earlier in the game. Driven to left, Schwarber to the track, can't get it. Cardinals are going to tie it. Two runs score. It's four to four. Joe Madden was talking about Kyle Schwarber's outfield play before the game. He talked about the throw he made last night and how he's taking better routes, not drifting as much, but this time clearly that was the case as he drifted on that shot over his head by Carpenter, perhaps fooled a little bit with Carpenter from the left side, hitting it that far the other way. 
Uh, Jim Deshays, Len Casper highlights ABC seven, and uh, I, I really like Kyle Schwarber. Dedicated himself, lost his the weight. Uh, he's doing a good job this year, I think, at the plate. He's not necessarily hitting as uh, as well as he would like to be hitting right now. He's at he's at two seventy, not bad. He was two for four yesterday. Um, home runs. He's hitting his share. Um, but he can't play left field, Chris. No. They, they, I, and I don't know if he can't play left field. I don't know where he can possibly play. But I can understand. And Cub fans, you want to jump on three one two three three two three seven seven six. What can what can you do? Because he cost him two runs right there on, on the ball that he missed. He drifted back, and Deshay's doing a good job of explaining and uh, talking about you know Joe Madden talking about it. But you, he can't play out there. It, it's an adventure in left field each and every time the ball's hit that way. And and what's funny about it, Fred, is if we look at the way this team has been constructed, you would think that because you have two other stellar outfielders that maybe you could sacrifice that one spot. But yeah. it seems like for every couple of decent games he has, he has a complete meltdown out there. And that's going to be an issue going forward, especially when you get to the tournament style of the playoffs where every out matters yeah, so much. Definitely. And they're plays that should be made by a left fielder, and Kyle Schwarber just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And the fact was, when he missed the one against the wall, not only did he miss it, but then he like continued running into the wall, and the ball's like bouncing. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm watching this. I'm like, what? Hold on. Like, like you know you missed it. Stop. Uh-huh. Grab the ball and throw it back to the infield. Like, what are you doing bouncing back off the wall to then collect? It just seems as if he doesn't know how to play the position, Yeah, which might be a little rough for us to sit here and say, but that's how it appears on TV. Watching the games, it appears that he doesn't know what he's doing. Out yeah, there. And, and every time, like I said, every time the ball goes up in the air in that direction, you just say, you know, what's he going to do this time? And the one, and J- Deshaies pointed it out, and Eric Ostrowski, our producer, pointed it out earlier today, it looks like his spike caught his other shoe and actually ripped it. Yeah. And that's why it it, it ripped, you know, he came out of it. Now, he still caught the ball yeah, he still caught the play, ball, right? But that was about to be disaster number two on the day. And yeah. And it was it was weird. It was weird looking, right? Like when do you see a player trip himself? Not often. As he's going for a what? That wasn't necessarily lazy. No, fly ball, but it was a uh, let's see, uh, meandering fly ball. Yeah, it was just up there. I yeah, mean, I mean, like you know, he made the catch. He didn't panic, which no. was great. Yeah, yeah, he didn't panic. He didn't panic when he missed the ball that Carpenter hit either. But two runs scored and. You know, that was in the, uh, the four run inning for St. Louis, which they came back to tie the game after a four nothing lead. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the answer is. He's not ever going to catch again, but you know, it, it's going to keep coming up at bad times. And people will say, well, things like that happen to all left fielders. Not in one game. No, <laughs> I mean, no not, not in one game. No, not and, in one game. And you wonder too, like, what is worth putting that out there at the plate, right? Seven home runs. Uh, his slash numbers: two seventy, three sixty nine, five sixty two. So That's, he's those one, aren't bad. He's one of the few yeah. Cubs that is batting well yeah. to this point in the season, mm-hmm. and he's one of your best hitters. So you know, it, and it's like, okay, fielding was so important in twenty sixteen to why this team was so great. Yeah. And he wasn't there for the majority of the time. That's right. He was there in the playoffs for the World Series. Yeah. He showed up after he almost sawed his hands off for, for hitting in the cage so much. They had blisters all over. Like, we know the story, the epic story of Cal Schwarber, but part of the reason the defense was so good was because he wasn't playing. Yeah. 
And they no. were they were they were like a historically good defense. It, yes, yeah. one of the best defenses we've seen yeah, of for all, all the analytical yeah. metrics that mm-hmm. we've ever seen in baseball. Defensive runs saved and all that kind of stuff. Now you you add in the mix that the pitching staff was the best in baseball as well, but. The scoring of the runs for the offensive side of the game, it took care of itself without Kyle Schwarber. So now, if you look at it, and, and the reason I bring up all that is, what is worth having him in the lineup compared to ruining your defense? Because also, you, you get less defensive impact from everyone else on the field. For some reason, yeah. now for a year and a half, or a year and a month and change of this season, this defense is not the same defense it was in 2016, even though all the pieces are, are the same. Yeah. So explain that one to me. How do you go from one of the greatest defenses ever put together from all the metrics in baseball to you only have a difference in Kyle Schwarber playing more, yet Baez, Russell, uh, Rizzo, Rizzo, Rizzo yeah. Hayward, all these guys are not playing to the same level as they did in 2016. I, do, I don't get that. Yeah, and it was another error, too, and they finally changed it after the game. Uh, Rizzo had a ground ball to him. He threw to second base. They called the error on Rizzo. It was in it, Addison Russell's glove. It hit his glove. It hit his glove, and they gave the error to Rizzo. Now, they changed it when the game was over. But you have Javi Baez, who had 15 errors last year. He already has eight. Yeah. Okay? And we're just more than a month into the season. It, you know, almost two months into the season now. It's crazy. It, it is crazy. They are third in baseball. They're tied for second in baseball with the Milwaukee Brewers and Ayers this season. Uh, Texas has 30. The Brewers have 26. The Cubs have 26. The Yankees with 25. Baltimore with 24. So those are the teams that have made the most errors to this point in baseball. And the Chicago Cubs had the best fielding. They had the best pitching and the best lineup. In 2016, that's why they're the best team, and we haven't seen that. Well, hold it. Didn't didn't they do all that? Didn't Joe Madden lead them to the – wasn't it Joe Madden? Isn't that why they won the World Series? Yes. Not because they had the best pitching, best right. defense, yeah, or best Joe, hitting? Magic yeah. Joe and his little uh, popcorn tricks with the magicians and whatever he and, does uh, and uh, all this stuff, right? Oh, by the way, did you see that uh, Davey Martinez had mariachi singers in the clubhouse yesterday right. for Cinco de Mayo? Yeah, Cinco de Mayo is fun. Yeah. Did they have uh, tequila as well? They should have. I had. Uh, <laughs> I, I should have had some. I did have a uh, – had a Modelo yesterday, so that you know, that counts. That's pretty good. Let's go to uh, North Chicago with George You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, George. Yeah, the thing with Kyle is, I mean, you know, he's made some great plays with his arm, and you know, either gonna you gotta let it play out. You're either gonna trade him down the road to an American League team to get some pitching if that's what you really need. But he's such a winner, you, you know, and his bat's coming on. But I fault Joe for not taking Chatwood out with two straight walks in the fifth inning, which led to all that stuff. Yeah. He doesn't have the stuff to, to, to justify keeping him in at that point. Well, and, and George, I appreciate the call. And, and you're right. He's, he makes tremendous throws. Schwarber does. I don't know why keep, people keep testing him, testing him. Carpenter did the other day and he was a catcher. He's got a great arm. Yeah. You should never test his arm. Um, I did that once. I, I misplayed in you Little League. Schwarber's arm? No. In oh, Little okay. League, I misplayed right. a ball. It went to the fence, <laughs> yeah. and I picked up the ball. It was Little League, 200, yard, or 200 feet, okay? I picked up the ball and threw it on the fly to third base and got the guy out at third. And they were all saying, great throw. My dad goes, nice throw, but you should have caught the ball. I said, yeah, <laughs> I know. And my dad wasn't Jimmy Pearsall's dad, but he he was, you know, he was he was explaining to me that I, I screwed up the play, but at least I salvaged something out of it. We'll continue to talk some more Cubs. You want to jump on in? three one two three three two three seven. Seven seven six and some numbers on Tyler Chatwood that if you don't know him already, um, I don't know. 
not working out so well. Uh, it's Chris Black, Fred Hubner. We're here until 10. Jesse at 10. We've, I'm sorry, we're here till noon. Jesse at 10. Nick Friedel at 11. My baseball notebook at 10.30. We're loaded. And Warriors Pelicans later on today. That coming up at 2. All of it right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. 6 to 6 in the 10th. Get a ton if it's fair, it's over. And it's gone. Halton Long with a game ending two run shot. 8 6 the final. Tough day at the office for the Cubs as one slips away here late. They see Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Len and JD on the call yesterday. The Cubs let one get away. They had a 4 0 lead. Cardinals tied it at 4. They had a 6 4 lead. Cardinals tied it at 6. And uh, then the Cardinals win it. Colton Wong with a two run homer. And Colton Wong is a, is a weird, he's got a weird career so far. Up and down the minor leagues to the big leagues. He was in a playoff game and got picked off. I think it was picked off to end the game one time. And, you know, he's like a home run or nothing guy, a guy that they, they can't really figure out. He never, he's not become the player they thought he was going to be, but then he does these things just enough to, you know, to keep his gig, I think. Wasn't it last season hanging into the year where they weren't sure if he was even going to be on the club by the yeah. end of the year? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. He's always, he's always around and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, yesterday, not so interesting for Cub fans as he goes deep. And the stat I wanted to mention, and it's not surprising to Cub fans. Um, and Chris, you were talking about it, uh, earlier about the pitchers, uh, had a, a great, and the Cubs had gone 30, their starters had gone like 33 and two thirds innings with no earned runs allowed. And, and this time, not so much. Um, that stopped with Kyle Hendricks giving up back-to-back homers to the Rockies uh, earlier in the week. Tyler Chatwood yesterday, four innings, three hits only. But he gave up five walks, four runs, three were earned. He struck out five. He leads not only the National League, all of baseball, giving up 27 walks. Now, Tyler Chatwood's a guy that when, when he came over and the Cubs got him, we heard that his numbers away from Coors Field are great. Yeah. Well, he, he wasn't at Coors Field yesterday. Huh. He hasn't been at Coors Field most of the games this year. <laughs> and uh, he's got 27 walks. Do huh. you remember last year the big problem with the Cubs' bullpen was walks? Yeah. Carl Edwards Jr. No one could hit him. Mm-hmm. The average against was like 127, but he was walking people. Yeah, especially against the Dodgers in the playoffs, yep. too. And that was the one thing that we thought new pitching coach, they're going to work on things. Now, I'm not blaming the pitching coach because the pitching coach can only do so much. He can't throw the ball for the guy. Okay. Um, but Carl Edwards Jr. has been really good this year. He hasn't mm-hmm. been walking people. But what, what Tyler Chatwood's been doing has been, you can't win games when you give up free passes. And people make fun of Hawk Harrelson. And by the way, today, Hawk and All Tom right. Pachorek, their last game. All right. Their last game together. So that's going to be fun. There'll be some reminiscing, I'm sure. And it's got to be better than what's going on in the field. Sox lose again last night and uh, get, get blown out. But um, Hawk would always say the dreaded leadoff walk. Mm-hmm. And people would, you know, it got to be a, a thing that people would say and, you know, like a hawkism, but there's nothing worse than walking a guy. Yeah, what? there were times where even, you know, you throw the ball over the plate, let him hit it. At least, you know, at least you got a chance for the nine, eight guys standing behind you to make a play or something. What's the point of a four run lead if you're just going to walk guys? I know. When you get out there on the mound, there's nothing worse than getting a lead and then giving it up almost immediately. Uh, one of the White Sox pitchers, uh, 
Uh, John Garland used to be the worst at it. At least the Cubs won an inning before they gave it up. They scored four in the second. Cardinals came back with four in the fourth. But then that two, the two in the ninth, Brandon Morrow, his first blown save. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's the curse of Waddle and Sylvie. Yes, it was. He yeah. was on the show, right? He, he was on the show with the guys uh, the other day. Um, oh, he was on oh, no, with uh, Carmen, Carmen Yurko. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. So I guess it's the it's the Carmen curse or the hoodie curse, one of the two, because uh, he was on with the guys. He was very uh, contemplative, I guess you'd call it. He, thoughtful? He, he listened. Thoughtful. He listened. He was thoughtful, Fred. <laughs> Thoughtful's he, good. Come on, be nice. He was, Thought- he was thinking of his answer. He was. One, he- 1,000, two, 1,000. <laughs> Three one thousand. I thought there was and then something. he would answer the question. Yes, <laughs> a couple of times yeah. I thought there was something wrong with it. But yeah. the guys told him that. I remember. I distinctly remember Carmen saying, "You're seven for seven in uh, save opportunities." And well, not anymore. Fred, uh, before we get to Jesse at ten o'clock, and uh, I bring this story to you. Did you see the story uh, yesterday from Fond du Lac? No, I did not see any stories from Wisconsin yesterday. Dan Gorski eats his milestone thirty thousandth Big Mac. Let me okay. Before you go any further, when yes. was the last time you had a Big Mac? I know you're you're a relatively healthy eater. No, I I enjoy burgers. I enjoy unhealthy food, and in fact, most days I eat unhealthy in front of Danny Zetterman just to show him, like, bro. But see, I'm going to go run yeah. this off. It don't matter. I was going to say you're a yeah. runner, so it doesn't really matter too much because you can run anything off. He started eating burgers in 1972. Dan Gorski. Eats so many Big Macs. This is his last big milestone because he uh, projected out will not get to the 40,000th burger because that will take, what, at least another 12, 13 years? He doesn't think he'll get there. <laughs> Seriously, this is real. There was there was news coverage for this burger. He got a little pin. Uh, I thought the pin would be a little bit nicer for so many uh, Big Macs. But how, did they, how were they able to keep track? Or, or well, Dan, Dan kept track. Did he? Here's a quote. While he managed through the years to preserve and categorize most everything related to his Big Mac obsession, he did lose about 7,000 or so styrofoam cartons that were damaged in a tornado that blew off the uh, top of his house in June of 1990. He was more upset about the cartons going away than the roof. Yes. He was you know, he ate so many bur- he he say he never felt sick once. Huh. He's only gone about eight days since nineteen seventy two without a Big Mac. Does it say is it just one a day or does he have more than one a day? I don't have how many per day, but okay. I think it's just one. Huh. Uh, let's see. I did the math uh, on how many calories thirty thousand Big Macs are. One million six hundred eighty nine thousand calories okay in his defense though his doctors say he has normal cholesterol and and everything's okay so it's not like uh he has health issues he's perfectly okay here look at the button look at the button he got describe that button for the for the listener it's got a big mac in the middle and it's got white and uh red stripes the the colors of the golden arches it's it's impressive congratulations for all that Got to go out to Fond du Lac now and track this guy down and have a burger with him. Can, can we get Don uh, Don Gorski on, Eric? <laughs> I'm, is on that, I'm on Is it. that a challenge? Can we try and find Don Gorski before the end of the show? We could always Fond du Lac? blow off Nick if we get Don Gorski. I mean, Nick, how many burgers is Nick? Same right well, there, right? you know what? That's his future. We, we got to bring this up to Nick, too, See? because that's quite a challenge. He's I staring think. into the mirror. Yes, he is. We come back. Jesse Rogers from St. Louis right here at ESPN 1000. Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is.
Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Al It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. Base is clean. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in a gorgeous day here in the city of Chicago. The sun is shining. Temperatures in uh, the mid-60s today. Absolutely gorgeous. And uh, then we get uh, White Sox baseball. Just saw some Twins fans walking by on their way to uh, guaranteed rate where the Twins are beating up the White Sox. Yesterday, Fred, was the first official perfect day in Chicago. Yeah, it was very nice. I mean, yesterday was outstanding. If you were outside walking around downtown, maybe in the suburbs, Going to a, you know a kid's soccer game, whatever. Yeah. It was perfect outside yesterday. Yeah. I was at the fire game last night. Could not have been nicer out. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. And uh, so uh, ho- hopefully we'll get a lot more of those days coming up. Now, on the on the field, not so perfect yesterday. No, not great. In uh, St. Louis. And the Cubs are trying to snap their four-game losing streak now after their loss yesterday in 10 innings, 8-6. to six. For more, we head out to St. Louis and our guy Jesse Rogers. Jess, they hit the ball a little bit. First time in 10 games, they scored more than three runs, but uh, uh, not enough, huh? Yeah, right now, Cubs are like a, a, a dam with about four or five leaky holes in it, you know, and you're trying to plug up each one, and yeah. then another one, you know, opens up because uh, as much as things were going wrong yesterday, they had a lead in the tenth in, in the ninth inning, and their closer blows his first save, so... One day it's the offense, another day it's the defense, another day your closer. Finally, I mean, you can't blame Brandon Morrow. It's going to happen. Right. Um, and I mentioned one day it's this, one day it's that. It does feel like the defense leaking is kind of the consistent thing throughout this thing. They are not playing stellar defense. We've seen other teams not play stellar defense against them. Milwaukee has really been bad. So, I mean, everything, I guess, will catch up with you if you don't play sharp. They're just not sharp right now. Um, so you can look at the glass being half full or empty, right? They're still okay in the standings, not playing sharp, but um, you got to start turning around and play some better baseball soon. Well, Jesse, it's early, so uh, you know how that goes. Uh, about a half an hour ago, Fred and I were talking about the defense because in 2016 it seemed like the defense was the secret sauce, and the only difference between then and now as far as guys on the field is Schwarber is now playing a lot more than he did, obviously, in 2016. What have you seen defensively from the guys who've been out here and we've seen them be one of the best defenses ever in baseball to then now, like, what has happened? What's the difference between this group of guys? I mean, there's no difference except this: the infield is not living up to its reputation. Um, the outfield's fine. I mean, think about Almora um, now playing every day, sort of making up for the Schwarber mistakes. You know, that kind of evens itself out. Uh, but it's that infield that bothers me. I mean, Javi Baez, I, I you know I'll defend him, but man, you can't be on a, you can't be on pace for forty errors as one of the best uh, defenders in the game up the middle, right? Uh, Bryant's had a little bit of a rough start. Uh, Rizzo two throwing errors, though they changed the one yesterday yep. and gave it to Russell, who's also had a, a few here and there. I, I can't explain it. And Wilson Contreras behind the plate actually has thrown a few into center field. So to me, it's those uh, you know four or five guys that have. have not lived up to expectations. Now, why that is, I can't tell you. Uh, Joe will just say it's just not being sharp and things like that. I mean, nobody knows for sure why good defenders don't play good defense. Um, it made some sense last year, just like everything did, that didn't work out because of the hangover. But now, um, a little strange, and that's, you know, again, the, the poster child for all this is bias. Can't be making those errors like he did two days ago, which eventually led to a, the three-run homer. 
Well, Jess, we were talking earlier, and uh, I love the dedication. I love losing the weight. Not yours, uh, Kyle, Sch- <laughs> Kyle Schwarber's. Uh, I love that you know, he's hitting 270. Uh, his slash line looks great. He can't play left field. I don't care the catch he made. I don't care how calm he was after he fell down. That ball that Carpenter hit, he just drifted. And, uh, you know, um, Deshaies commented on it uh, when it happened yesterday on ABC7. And it's like, it's like it happens enough that he can't play there. The problem is there's nowhere else to play him right now. What do you do with him? Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, you wouldn't want to play him anywhere else. I mean, you know, <laughs> left is where you can sort of hide a guy. I, I, I think, uh, don't quote me, or maybe you can, I think he's at plus two defensive run saved, which is obviously better than negative two or whatever. Right. It, it's, it's, it, it, there are some glaring mistakes. There are some moments that are not, are not as bad as people might think that, that bring, bring his you know, numbers back up. But I, you know, he doesn't pass the eye test right now. There's no doubt about it. He did throw our guy at the plate the other day. There's some, some good moments, but you're, you're not wrong. He's got to hit enough that we don't worry about that. That's the way it has to be. Now, he's starting to. I, I do think he's going to go on a run. I do at the plate, and then it'll make up for some defensive miscues. But um, you're not wrong. I mean, you just got to kind of – I mean, the Cubs know it. They got to kind of live with it for now. Um, and that's why he really ha- – he can't ever have an underachieving season at the plate because then it, it puts a glaring spotlight on that defense. But I will just say again, metrically, he's not as bad as you think, though obviously there are balls that others could get to, and he's not. What are the numbers at the plate that Schwarber needs to put up that at the end of the season we look and say, well, that was worth the awful play in left field? Well, I mean, you start with the 30-plus home run type thing. I mean, he's got to do that, and he did that last year in, in, in an awful year. So no, no doubt in my mind he's going to get to 30 again. Um, I think that OBP just has to be through the roof. That means he's taking a lot of walks and helping his team. So 30 homers and a 400-plus OBP would be incredible. Something close to that, 380, 390 would be incredible. So that's what he has to do. I mean, I don't know exactly to make up whatever, but, hey, if he's plus two defensive runs saved, if that's true, then he's you know, like you know not that bad, I guess. But there's other metrics that will say he's not as good, obviously, in range factor and stuff. So something like that, just be be an incredible uh, number four hitter in the draft that they that they they took right, um, hit those home runs and get on base because you're taking your walks because they're scared of you. That's that's how you got to look at it. Well, Jesse, I asked the question because I my mindset was kind of of if he's an MVP candidate at the plate, then we can live with what he's doing in the field. And if you say he's only going to give you 30 home runs or so, and like the numbers that we kind of project out, that doesn't sound like an MVP candidate at the plate. Well, I said at least. Let's start with that. I mean, okay. Like base baseline. He's got to be hitting the ball out of the park enough to make up for some of those mistakes out there. But I mean, does he have forty home run potential? Yes, and that's that starts to get into MVP conversation. I think we sure. all we all see that potential in him. Um, obviously, I, I can't tell you what that batting average is going to look like, but it's so far so good because he's going to the left side. He's getting ground balls to the left side. He's hitting over that shift. I mean. So far, so good. He's not quite MVP material, but let's say he's one tier down from that. That's still pretty darn good. You know, what if he's a he gets votes from ten to twenty in MVP talk? You know, something like that. It's not so bad. But you're, you're not wrong. He's, he, that's what I'm saying. He can never um, he can never be what he was last year because then it really hurt. It's so glaring. He hurts you both at the plate and in the field. So let's just see um, and let's see if he can get a little bit better in the field. I mean, he's he's, he's making sl- small strides there, but. I know it's not fast enough for Cub fans, for sure. 
Jess, last year, walks were a problem for the bullpen, especially, I think, like C.J. Edwards. They were hitting like 120 off him, but he was putting guys on base. Tyler Chatwood yesterday gave up only three hits, but he walked five guys. He leads baseball with 27 walks. Um, you know, obviously, they're trying to figure out what the problem is, but that can't continue. You can't keep putting guys on base, and I think yesterday proved it. No, of course not, and he knows it. He absolutely knows it. It's amazing this is that kind of game where you can know something at the plate or on the mound, but you have are powerless to fix it in the moment. But he claims here between starts he will fix it. Read, read my story at ESPN.com. Uh-huh. He's that about adamant about knowing it. It's a mechanical thing. He didn't want to get into it with reporters, uh, but just a, an adjustment. And it's interesting how he said it. It's about trust, like, and that's why it's easier said than done. When he gets out there, he's not necessarily trusting his stuff. He's nibbling. He doesn't think he can throw it in the strike zone. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. So, so he's getting off mechanically a little bit because of that. But it, that, that was the key phrase he said, I have to trust it. So not to worry that he's going to get hit and that his stuff has good movement within the zone and he'll get the weak contact that he wants. But either way, you, you, the worst thing you can do is walk guys. So what's the next next worst thing? Well, to get hit. Let's just see if that's going to happen now. You know what I mean? Like, like at some point you have to say screw it I'll get, I'll give up a couple solo home runs if right. I have to instead of these walks that are going to lead to beginnings and pitch counts and all this stuff so I think he's at that point and he's got to stop walking guys that would that I mean here's the one thing about the Cubs record at 16 and 14 I feel like of those 14 losses I don't know like half are part of those losses that could have gone either way you know the win 60 lose 60 it's the other 40 that determine 42 that determine the season I feel like seven of those are fall into that 42 category again. And yesterday was another one. I mean, they're up 4 nothing, uh, and then they're up 6-4. There's no reason they should be losing that game, and they do. So they, they really do need to tighten up, and Chat was a great example of that. Uh, John Lester on the mound today, and a week and a half ago, the entire uh, turn for the rotation was outstanding, but now you get Darvish, Quintana, Chatwood, back-to-back-to-back, all with poor starts. Can Lester kind of stop that and get things on the right track today? Absolutely, absolutely. He is that kind of guy that can do that. Um, he's starting to pitch better and better. It's just a little bit of a you know slow thing coming out of spring training for him. But he's had what two or three good outings, and maybe one or two bad ones. Um, yeah, I think this is the guy that stops the bleeding for sure on national TV tonight. He knows the Cardinals well. They're not a team that tries to run on him. Um, the Cardinals are all of a sudden hurting bad. I'm, I mean, have you guys seen this news about Molina yet? Yeah, yeah. Pelvic injury with traumatic hematoma. That hurts just reading it. Uh-huh. Pelvic injury. He had surgery, I think, last night. He's going to be out at least four weeks. And this is the thing you see with catchers all the time. I mean, Wilson Contreras has gotten hit there a lot. And you see him down or hopping around, and he's always back in there. But, uh, you know, that, that's a scary one. So Molina's, Molina's down, and the, you saw Tom, Tommy Pham leave the game. I mean, he's a dynamic player. So I, uh, you feel bad for Molina, but here's a chance for Cubs to at least salvage a game and, and move on from there. They got to... It feels like they hit rock bottom yesterday just because that means over the last week every part of their game has has slumped, and now it's time to sort of climb that ladder back up. We'll see if it starts tonight. I know that Joe was talking after the game about Rizzo saying he's swinging at bad pitches. He he hasn't had a walk since April 20th. He's got only four all season. That's not Anthony Rizzo like. I mean, I know they, I know Chili Davis and he were working earlier in the week. Is it just go on out there each and every day and try to figure it out? Um, yeah, it it's also has to be about not being too anxious. Um, 
what do you have, 81 walks, 80 strikeouts last year, something like that, more right. walks than Ks. It's, it's nuts to see him with 16 Ks, four walks, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I, I, Joe, Joe said something that I think is, is true. I mean, in, the, in April, he's slumping, right? And then, you know, you want it, you're so anxious to get your batting average, your numbers, let's just say your numbers, back up that you start to expand. Like, I don't have a homer yep. yet. I got, you, know, I, you know what I mean? So instead of taking walks, he's thinking about getting his numbers up. It's, it, it, it could be subconscious, but um, it makes sense that you slump and then you get worse by expanding your zone because you really want to get back in it, help the team get your numbers up. Um, so he's starting to come out of it either way, and when he starts to take a few more walks, that's when you will know for sure he's out of it. The whole team in general hasn't walked enough, it's, and I don't understand it. Um, it's a weird thing. Uh, I know they're trying to get better offensively in terms of where they hit the ball using the whole field, but I don't know why that's affecting their walk totals. I don't. It's the same players. I don't know these. You know that these pitchers are doing much different. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. You can't. This team cannot win when they're dead last in walk in walks. So you mentioned the walks. We mentioned the defense beforehand. Is it possible that all of these young players, many of them, all peaked in 2016, and that's why we saw the outcome that we saw? I don't think so, because, I mean, you're talking about 20, or not 20, but 21, 22, 23. How could they have peaked in their first year? Well, I mean, look, look at Russell. Look at some of the guys around the team. You know, Baez is having a good year at the plate, making mental mistakes in the field. You know, I, it, I, I just wonder if we will look back and say that was the year and we never saw the results we saw from this collective group of players that we saw that one year. Well, I mean, they were second in the league last year in runs scored. I know it was a little different because they scored a lot and then didn't and all that, but they still won 90-plus games in a hangover-type season. I'd be surprised if this was if this was uh, their peak, if that was their peak. That would just be surprising. How could 22 first-year you know 22 year olds who are first or second-year players peak? It'd be crazy. Um, now you bring up one guy, Russell, that I, is in a little bit different category for me because. And I've said this before, last year was a wash. I mean, and that's, that, that's an indictment on him. It's his fault that he just, you know, completely threw away a year of baseball because of his, his issues, you know, including injuries, but also is off the field. So his development is still from two years ago. And I know that, you know, I can't prove that, but that's what I truly believe. So he's not a great example of what I'm, you know, saying in terms of other guys developing. But, hey, Bias has developed. I mean, Hap just came up last year. Brian is Brian. Rizzo is Rizzo. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Schwarber is starting to develop again, right? He's back on the development trail. So I don't think it's as bad as, as, we, as we might think, but they are trying to transform their offense. I can't say this enough. Into a dynamic, diversified offense, and that is going to have some growing pains and will look bad at times. And I'll, I'll quote Theo. I've done it a few times already. He wants these growing pains, and he doesn't care if the record doesn't reflect right now as long as they're better later and he thinks the record will will reflect then so let's see michael walker going tonight against john lester i know it's hours and hours before the lineup comes out do you have any ideas of what might happen that's a good question i mean i, I like what he did yesterday actually if you're not going to have elmore in the game move hayward over to center um zobris got to lead off again you got to ride though he, he led up the first yep. two games with hits his obp is huge i think he was Two for five with maybe a walk yesterday. Yep. Um, so you got to go back to Zobrist. You got to keep Schwarber in there. I'm a big Schwarber playing every day kind of guy. So um, the only question is does he start Hayward in center again, go with the same lineup, or put Al Moore in center, Zobrist in right, and Sid Hayward? I, I would assume with a righty on the mound, he wants Hayward in the game. So that's the way I look at it. So the keys to me 
are Zobrist and Schwarber playing so you can figure out the rest from there. Is this team having fun? Um, I mean, not at the moment. Anytime you're not hitting, it, it looks like they're not having fun, and then it actually is probably true. Um, now, yesterday they did hit, uh, but they've lost four. I mean, it's not like eight, you know what I mean? It's not, you know, teams lose four in a row. They were the, they were the last team to lose three in a row. Right. So think about that. They were the last team to win three in a row, and they were the last team to lose three in a row. So, no, this past week, even when they were winning a little bit, wasn't the most fun because that offense just made it, you know, anytime you're getting shut out and stuff like that or scoring two runs, it's not as fun looking. But as long as you win, you know, that, that's, that's truly fun. Um, so, yeah, it's been a little bit of a rut, no doubt, but no, no panic or anything. Been there, done that. It's early May. Just got to get back, back to it. Uh, you just don't want this, you know, run to, to turn into eight games. Then all of a sudden you're, you start to get buried in the standings. So I would think they bottomed out yesterday, but we'll see. They, it starts with that defense. They've got to play better defense, and then we'll see what they can do at the plate. Jesse, you were a young tyke 20 years ago when Kerry Wood yes. struck out 20. I, I see you did a whole piece on it on uh, ESPN Chicago. Tell the people what do you uh, talk about. Well, I mean, it's a little bit of an oral history. Talk to the umpire behind home plate there, the, uh, the home plate umpire that day. Talk to Kerry Wood. Talk to um, who else was in that piece? Um, Craig Biggio, yeah. one of the Hall of Famers on that team. And, I mean, that was one of the things a bunch of people said. 102-win Astros team, this was no crappy team. This was a team with two Hall of Famers and all sorts of talent up and down. So I talked to Biggio, uh, Jerry Mills was the home plate umpire, and the, the best you know moment of that story is the first pitch of the game. Go back and watch it. It hits Jerry Mills in the mask. He throws <laughs> it right past Sandy Martinez, the catcher. And Mills is like, what are we in for today? He's like, he was wondering if he should warn both benches. He thought there was some bad blood and there was a purpose pitch and all this stuff is going through his mind. And then, of course, uh, Wood does not walk anybody the rest of the day. He goes 2-0 and on Biggio and then strikes him out. So talk to a lot of the parties involved. John Lester, Kyle Hendricks weigh in. And I'll just say one last thing about it is one of the interesting things is I played the highlights for some of these guys to rem- you know, jog their memory including Hendricks and Lester. And the thing that stood out to them was watching the highlights. There's no graphics on the screen. It was interesting that they both pointed this out. You don't know the, the, the velocity in the fat, uh, on the pitches. You don't know the score in the game. You don't know the pitch count. He's like, they were like, this is great, old school. Just This looks like it could, could be from the 30s. I mean, not, so, you know, not for real, right. but they're like, it's so cool just to see him organically go out there. Hitters aren't running back to the video room. After they're at bat to, to watch, okay, you look at this curveball he's got. Look at this fastball has this zip, you know, because all, all the information you got was going back up there to face him the next time. It was such an old school, you know, thing that they were saying, and they loved it. They loved it. And nowadays, everyone's got the video, and just it's it's a little different. It, it, I guess again, it didn't, doesn't feel organic as much as it did back then. The rain's coming down, so it was one of those memorable days for everybody. Check it out at ESPNChicago.com. What even is that pitch in oral history of Kerry Woods' 20 strikeout day? That was 20 years ago today. Jess, what do you what do you do in St. Louis for a few hours when you got nothing to do and you're know, preparing for an evening game? The Arch, man. I mean, obviously oh, the weather's. No. You know, but weather's finally turned here. No, I'll take a walk to the arch. I won't go up it. I've been up it before. Yeah. So walk around, grab, grab, grab a meal. I mean, Ballpark Village, I will say, around St. Louis, uh, Bush, they've done a pretty good job, and they're still building around it. It's going to be pretty cool, just like what, what you know, the Cubs have done across right. the street from Wrigley there. Uh, Ballpark Village is, is getting there. Now, somebody was shot there a few weeks ago, so they got to keep it safe. <laughs> but right. I'd imagine the afternoon is fine. So um, it's it's 
and I'm staying near Ballpark Village, so probably go over there for some lunch, hang out, you know, open up the laptop, uh, do a little work, and get ready for the game. Cool. Good luck. Uh, see if uh, see if the Cubs can snap this streak before they come home. They got the Marlins waiting for them, so I know that's something to look forward to. Well, they split a four game series with them, so you know you can't take anybody lightly right now. Yeah, you're right the way about that. The Cubs that. are playing. Yeah, the Marlins' actually record isn't that that awful. There's a bunch of teams worse than in the NL. So it's early. Um, yeah, they got it. They they can't take anybody easy. They got to get back on a run and, and establish themselves as, as the force. I mean, they're 0 for May. They were 16 and 10, you know, going into May or whatever. Well, yeah, 16 10, and they're 0 for 4. So. Um, it's not starting out as a good month, you, and you know Joe's record. Pretty much had a winning month, you know, almost every sure. every month he's been here as manager. So, got to get back on the right track. Jazz, enjoy yourself. Thanks a lot for jumping on. Okay, you got it, guys. See you. Jesse Rogers down in St. Louis getting ready for the game tonight. It'll be Lester against Waka. We've got it for you here, seven o'clock on ESPN one thousand. A couple of things I want to get your opinion on that I asked Jesse about. Uh, one of them about young players peaking. I think we all assumed. What we saw in 2016 and 2015 as well, that this was only the tip of the iceberg for this collection of players. The window was wide open. The window's wide open. And basically, uh, you empty the the drawers of your prospects, and this is what you have now going forward Mm -hmm. because there's nothing else... In the, in the cabinet right. for you to bring up and to give you that jump start. I'm watching the uh, Yankees, what was it, two days ago when Glyber Torres, Torres came in, and uh, yeah. what did he do in his first game? Uh, he uh, he went yard, yeah. I believe. Uh, yeah, he's, he's actually, he, yes. he drove in three runs the other day and also hit a home yeah. run. And See, I'm, wa- yeah. I'm watching quick pitch, Fred. I'm, I'm, wa- I'm following baseball. He's making um, adjustments. When I left here yesterday after working with Murph, I had the game on the Sirius channel and was listening to uh, the Yankee broadcast, and they were saying how that it, once he gets fooled by one pitch, uh, one at bat, he comes back and he makes the adjustments, and so they like him a lot. I think he was fifteen for his first forty-five. Sure. So that's not that's not bad for him. So so what do you think? Is it out of the realm of possibility to look at the collection of young players and say that maybe twenty sixteen was this magical run where everything just clicked? And we were a little ahead of our skis and just assuming going forward, because they are all young people, that they will all develop into these superstar studs. And really, out of the collection, you have one superstar. And you have a bunch of guys who have kind of gone up and down over the last year and a half. Well, I think it's a little bit of that. But I also think it's the game itself because... You know, you will, we hear the stats so much, especially late in the season. There's been no repeat champion in the National League, you know, um, National League World Series winners in 75 and 76, and the Yankees did it in uh, 99 and 2000. Um, but it's, this league is very, very difficult to repeat. Now, a lot of people thought last year was a Cubs chance to repeat. Now, they've gotten there to the NLCS three years in a row. They're going for four years in a row this year. Uh, it's, I hate to say it because you've com- you've comically said it Go several ahead, times. Go ahead, do it. But it's early. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's not even May fifteenth yet. No, it's not. Um, so you know, there's there's plenty of time. And last week at this time, yeah. everyone was saying, "Well, this is it. They're on a roll." Uh-huh. And I was going to pose the question last week: Will they ever see five hundred again? Because they're sixteen and ten at that point. Well, right. I didn't ask that. Now they're sixteen and fourteen. So, you know, which is the same record they had last, last year, year at this time when yep. they were hungover. Yep. So this year it's early. Last year was hungover. Uh, in 2016, they were the best team in baseball. The other question I want to ask you about is I uh, very directly asked Jesse, is this team having fun? And the reason I asked that is because the whole spiel with Joe Madden and this team from 15 to 16 
was the carnival in the outfield doing this. They're having so much, all these young guys buying in, having fun. Joe is this old guy who has a millennial mindset, and it's all kind of working together. Uh, you watch the Yankees, the Astros, other teams in baseball that are playing well right now, and they all appear to be having a lot of fun. Now, sure. is it because of the winning, like Jesse said, that they were having fun? Or is this Cubs team right now a little tight? And not having as much fun as they were in the past because now there's extreme expectations placed on them. I, you know, and I've, I've brought this up a couple, a lot over the years when people say that a team doesn't look like they're working hard enough or they're hustling hard enough. When you're not hitting, yeah, there's nothing you can do to make you look good. And up until yesterday, the Cubs had gone nine straight games without scoring more than three runs. So there's nothing you can do. They were having fun yesterday in that four-run inning. Sure. They were having fun yesterday when Baez and Rizzo went deep. Then not so much after the, you know, Morrow blew the save. So it's tough to enjoy this game uh, for the players when they're not winning. Well, we are getting less of the Madden antics. Yeah, though. we are. And I think he's he's gone away from some of that. I would not be surprised if some of it comes back. But... You know, we'll have to wait and see how that how that plays out. Callers, hang in there. I'll get to you when we come back with our MLB uh, notebook. We've got Nick Friedel. We haven't talked nearly enough basketball for Chris Black's liking. Well, I mean, it's a big uh, big weekend. Cubs, Cardinals, Fred. We got yeah. to talk about the top story. I get it. Warriors, cool. Pelicans this afternoon at two o'clock. We'll get into that, and also LeBron and a lot of other things. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. My baseball notebook. We come back after this on ESPN one thousand. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's baseball notebook. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, time for my baseball notebook, and I get a bunch of stuff, some sound we'll get to, but a couple of callers nice enough to hang on during the commercials and uh, the Sports Center, and want to get to them as we're talking baseball with you, the listener, also. Let's go to Michigan City, and Paul, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up, Paul? Hey, good morning, guys. Great show. Yeah, you know, uh, in regards to the talk with Jesse, in regards to Schwarber, um, you know, I think it's great that Cubs fans have... Uh, you know, high expectations or, you know, media has high expectations for this Cubs team. And, yeah, like you said, Fred, three straight National League Championship Series, uh, you know, appearances. Um, I think people forget last year that the Cubs went to the National League Championship Series and they won it in 2016. Um, but in regards to Schwarber, how many bad left fielders have we seen in this town? That Right now he's on pace for a 150 OPS plus. He's got a 930 OPS um, he's on pace to hit 42 home runs. So I just think it's weird that we got to talk about every time he makes an error how bad he is as a left fielder. Jesse said it. The other guys have to be better because there's pretty much gold glovers at every position. So Baez making mistakes are the thing. I, I just, every single time Schwarber makes a bad play, we've got to point it out. But when he hits a two run homer or he goes three for four, we forget that. And as far as the development, um, your, your partner there, Chris, if the Cubs players have peaked, I'd be really surprised. One thing you got to remember about Schwarber is he's, Two months older than Tim Anderson. He's six months older than Ronaldo Lopez. I just think the expectations are that Sox guys are developing, that the Cubs guys have already developed. I just don't get the – they have to still have some room for development when guys are 23, 24, 25 years old, no matter what they've accomplished so far. So to say that they've already peaked is ridiculous. Paul, appreciate the call. Yeah. 
I agree. Yeah. I'm not. I'm just saying it's something to watch. Like it, yeah. it's out of the realm of possibilities that this is something that could happen. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. I'm and just asking the question. I'm not saying they did peak. I'm no. just saying look at the guys, and we all thought that the Cubs had what at least three superstars, yep. three or four superstars on that 2016 team that all came up together. And it seems like Chris Bryant's the only superstar. And you have some guys who are going up and down, sideways, right? And Schwarber at the plate's been fantastic. But now we need to see more consistency he's from him still, in the outfield. Right. He's still if he still costs you every time the ball goes to left field, you shouldn't have to cringe. And I think most Cub fans do. Let's grab one more call before we get to some other stuff. We go to Rolling Meadows and John. You're on ESPN One Thousand. Hey, John. Hey guys, how are you? Doing well. What's up? Oh, you know, I'm a I'm a huge Red Sox fan, and and last year, if you remember, they went into kind of the same kind of deal that the Cubs are in. They're not hitting. They weren't hitting home runs. Uh, they didn't look like they were having any fun, and um, they got rid of Chili Davis at the end of the season. The Cubs hire him. They're having the same problems, it looks like, that the Red Sox had when Chili was there. You see what the Red Sox are doing. They're producing now. And you know what? My whole thing is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They fired the hitting coach. Look what, the, look what he did with that club. You know, the World Series, they won it. What do they do? They turn around, they fire him, and they bring in a hitting instructor that had no luck in Boston. And I, I see the same thing happening with Chili Davis with the Cubs. It's, it's not, I don't think it's so much the players. I think Chili's trying to fix stuff that ain't necessarily broken. Well, and see, John, I appreciate the call. That's one of the biggest things with hitting coaches with me. Um, years ago when Greg Walker was a White Sox hitting coach, uh, we I had him on the air, and he said, yeah, I heard that you don't think hitting coaches mean a whole heck of a lot. And I said, well, guys, hitters are hitters, and they're going to figure it out. You can tell them what they're doing wrong and point them some things out. You're never going to make them better than they already are. They were good hitters to get to the big leagues. It used to be a good fielder, a no-hit guy could get to the big leagues. Not anymore. If you can't hit, they don't care how much you can field. And if you can hit, they'll put you somewhere. A la <clears throat> Kyle Schwarber. Left field? Yeah. yeah. So they'll find a spot for you if, in fact, you can hit. Uh, we'll have to go a little while uh, to see what exactly the influence of Chili Davis is. He's working with Anthony Rizzo. Let's see how long it takes Rizzo to get back in the right pace. Uh, Rizzo struggling again. His OPS is five five ninety four. He's got a one eighty seven batting average. He has hit homers three of the last four times. One of my things, and this actually ties into the notebook. We got some highlights to play too. But the whole thing with launch angle, mm -hmm. and I know it came up again earlier this week. Jonathan and Carmen were making fun, basically, of old guys like me sure. talking about averages and RBIs, and they said the important things are launch angles and exit velocity and all that stuff. Well, if you look at it, most players with high exit velocity are also high strikeout guys. And I was talking to Eric Ostrowski, who played baseball, and if your manager or if your hitting coach says, listen, go into the box, swing as hard as you can to try to make contact, mm -hmm. if you do... It's ball, ball's going to take off, and you're going to have a high exit velocity. You know what else you're going to do a lot? You're going to strike out. Yeah, it's one of the reasons we have so many strikeouts and so few uh, of uh, so few other things. This past this past month, okay, April, Jason Stark had a great piece the mm -hmm. other day. More strikeouts than hits. Did you know there has never been a season in history with more strikeouts than hits? But not for long. We're afraid. 
343 more strikeouts than hits so far this season. Wow. As recently as three years ago, there were 5,000 more hits than strikeouts. So until last year, there also had never been a season ever with 40,000 strikeouts. On the pace threat right now, there'll be 42,525 strikeouts. That's That'll be 10,000 more strikeouts than there were 10 years ago, 5,000 more than five years ago, and 2,500 more than last season. What? So all these analytics people are talking about launch angle and exit velocity, but even Joe Madden, when the Cubs get into his struggles and they're not hitting home runs, Joe Madden talks about moving the ball around. And that's why I bring up a guy like Ichiro Suzuki, who retired semi, kind of, walked away, and is still with the uh, Mariners in a front office thing. He would put the bat on the ball. Yeah. Tony Gwynn, put the bat on the ball. Get on base. And we had Matt Vask- Vaskersian on earlier. He said the same thing. One thing that uh, Jason Starkey wraps up his story, uh, you all know this, 35% of the plate appearances so far this year, either in a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. So he says, at this pace, there will be 2,000 fewer balls put in play this year than last year. 5,000 fewer than three years ago. 10,000 fewer than nine years ago. Every ball in play is a highlight video waiting to happen, except now it's a highlight video that never gets a chance to happen. Mm-hmm. And you and I talk about it each and every week. You watch quick pitch, and all we see is there's another home run. There's another home run. There's a strikeout, but there's another home run. That's it. That's all there is. There's no big plays. Uh, nothing happens unless there's a mistake in left field like Schwarber made yesterday and two-run score or things like that. The game yesterday, game winning. Colton Wong, two-run homer. Yeah, it'll be interesting as we go forward to watch whether or not what people think of this style of baseball. You know, if you want to join us at 312-332-3776, do you like this style of baseball? Because the game has changed right before our eyes. Yeah. And is this appealing to you? Because I think it's something as time goes on, I'm you and I have talked about it on many Sunday mornings here that this style of baseball is not as much fun to watch no. as the other style of baseball that we are used to watching. The length of the game does not matter if it's still good baseball. And I, I'm just curious to see if people like home runs or strikeouts because that's all we're getting now. Right. You know what was fun to watch? When the Cubs scored their four runs yesterday early mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah. They weren't home runs. Yeah, they're rally. Yeah. There, yeah. there was a broken bat single, the center, and a run scored. There was a broken bat and the guy and he beat out an infield hit. Those are interesting things in baseball. Yeah. That makes rallies fun. I mean, it's fun when you got you know about the three run homer if you win out a two run walk off. But it's not the way baseball was always meant to be played. Sure. This guy, he's done pretty well. He's gotten a lot of hits. His name's Albert Pujols. Here's the 1-0. That's a liner in the right field. It's going to drop in for a base hit. Albert Pujols has done it. Another milestone for Albert. You've just punched your ticket into the 3,000 hit club. Highlights courtesy of Angels Radio. That happened two nights ago. They had been waiting for Pujols to get it. And I thought a couple of years ago he was done. Because remember, he was having mm-hmm. foot problems. He could barely walk. And uh, those were resolved. And now he's hitting and, you know, he putting him in the lineup with Trout and Otani. The Angels expected to be playing very, very well this year. You look at the standings right now. The Angels are 20 and 13. They're tied with Houston atop the American League West. So uh, that's going to be a fun little race throughout the rest of the season. And Seattle is only a half game back at 19 and 13. Yeah, I was watching Angels Mariners last night, Fred. Oh, and by the way, that was a great game last night. It was back and forth and back yeah. and forth, and then finally the Mariners win it. Tied game, bottom 11. Seager at second for Healy. Hold inside the bag. Here comes Seager. Here we go. Ryan Healy has done 
What an amazing game tonight here at Safeco Field. Highlights courtesy of Root Sports. And, yeah, the Mariners came back to tie it in the 8th. They came back to tie it in the 10th. And uh, Seattle ends up winning it. One more uh, highlight for you. Actually, two more. The Diamondbacks are a team that uh, they're getting some pretty nice production. They are atop the West. They're 22-11 and 11 in the National League. They have a three-and-a-half game lead over Colorado. And uh, they battled back yesterday. This is loaded two on the 3-3 three, three ball game. And a line drive, base hit. Diamondbacks won it. Diamondbacks walk off the Astros on a ball that glanced off the glove of the diving Bregman into left field. And the Diamondbacks beat the Astros here tonight in nine, four to three. Well, what an exciting finish that was. Highlights courtesy of KMVP. See, they're like the sister station. Uh, <laughs> KMVP. And did you notice one yes. thing about all the announcers? Uh-huh. And this is a problem I have. Oh, because, no. Here we go. Well, because Hawk Harrelson's doing his last game with Wimpy today. They're the most generic calls you've ever, you'll ever hear. Yeah. It's just a generic baseball announcer. It's going away. It's going, you know... Um, we're never right. gonna we're never gonna hear the Ernie Harwells, Jack Brickhouses, Hawk Harrelsons, you know, any of those guys Can ever I again. Can I tip this in for you, Fred? Yeah. Uh, let me guess. How many of those guys went to Syracuse? Not too many. <laughs> Far too many. Speaking of that, we got Nick Friedel coming up top of the hour. I know your dislike for uh, broadcasters <laughs> from New York. So let's take a quick break. Callers hanging. We will get right back to you before we get to, to the top of the hour. Paul Jackson Rufus will try to get to all of you before we uh, get to Nick and talk some NBA. It's uh, Chris Black, Fred Hubner talking some baseball before some hoops right here on ESPN 1000. The Q's. Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Oh, welcome on in on Sunday morning. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you till noon. Nick Friedel, top of the hour from New Orleans, talking some NBA, but we're talking some baseball here. Let's go on out to Oak Park and Jackson. Jackson, you're on ESPN 1000. What's going on? Hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, well, Jackson. Uh... You guys are talking about a lot of exit velocity and launch angles and things like that, and which some of that I do agree with, some of it I don't. But it's kind of crazy because we have Theo, and you know, Theo was hired by the Red Sox after they Billy Bean turned the job job down, which was the whole strategy of the Moneyball is get on base, get on base, and it's pretty much a proven like success. So I don't know if the Cubs have gotten away from it or if baseball in general has gotten away from it, but I just find myself questioning, you know, actual proven strategies. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to know what you guys thought on that. Yeah, I was going to say the on-base percentage, we appreciate the call, on-base percentage is still a huge thing, but it, it, earlier this week, I think it was Tom Pachorek when he was doing a game, and um, he was talking about Swing at the first pitch. Some guys mm-hmm. will swing at the first pitch or the second pitch. And it got to the point where when so many people started talking about the on-base percentage, they started waiting and not swinging early. Even though, and how many times have I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Jose Abreu take a, call, a first pitch strike right down the middle of the plate and go, what are you doing? And some of that might be, you know, I'm going to take a pitch little strike. Well, that might be the only pitch you get that's going to be in your zone. And if you swing at it, you can get on base. So many people, it's gonna, they get in the hitters' heads. I don't know how the hitters can do it. They're told to get on base. They're told to take some pitches. But then they're letting their pitch, the one pitch they could probably hit in and at bat, go by. 
Um, it makes it very, very difficult. Uh, Isn't that why we've seen Anthony Rizzo have success as a leadoff hitter in the small sample size? Is he attacks the first pitch at the at bat? He does pretty much. Um, and you know, Fred, the other thing to go with uh, Jackson's point is the Cubs this season are 11th in on-base percentage. So wouldn't you think, and to Jackson's point, that this Theo Epstein team should be like top five every year? Yeah. In on-base percentage? It's kind of um, interesting to kind of note well, right it now. Is. It is, and I think part of that is we mentioned how Rizzo, you know, not batting leadoff. Rizzo has does, does not have a walk since April 20th. He only has four all season. And like Jesse was saying, the one thing with Rizzo last year was he had as many, I think he had one more walk than strikeout. Okay, that's an unbelievable stat. That's a great stat. That's what you'd love to have. Um, but you're right. I was, it took me a while. You looked it up a lot quicker than I did. Uh, the Cubs on base is uh, 322. They're behind the Reds. Mm-hmm. They're behind the Oakland A's. Yep. Billy Bean baseball, 325. Uh, they're behind the ta- the Tampa Bay Rays are third in baseball. Yep. In on base percentage, and the Tampa Bay Rays, believe it or not, they're actually they're 15 and 16. They're a game under 500. And they're an unbelievably tough. Well, I mean, and and you say, um, you look at the standings, you're like, how are the Atlanta Braves leading their division? They're first in on base percentage in all baseball. Yeah. And you know what? The, uh, the Cubs do have coming up a week where they have. Oh, it's Cupcake City. Well, they have the Marlins for three games. Cupcake City. Then they have the White Sox for three games. Yeah. Then they have four against the Braves, one here and three in Atlanta. Now that. That'll be a test because it's the Cubs that were a young team a couple years ago. Right. And now the young team with Rana Lacuna and Ozzy, uh, Al- I can't even say his name. Albies, you've got a really good young team in Atlanta. So that's going to be a fun series. They play one game here as a makeup and then they play three in Atlanta the next days. So, um, some interesting times, but yeah. Cupcake City. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> that, you know, when you, when you put the White Sox and the Cubs together, you throw away oh, the record throw, books. Throw it away, yes. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. The best uh, rivalry in the city that was manufactured. It's fantastic. The yes, B- you got you to gotta love this rivalry. It was the BP Cup till yeah. they decided not to have it the BP Cup anymore. Uh, let's go to Lake Forest and Paul. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Paul. Hey, good morning, guys. Great show. Thank you. I could talk baseball with you guys forever. I called up to talk about why it's so unwatchable, but then listening to the sabermetrics talk and all that. The game of baseball has become one big sabermetric shilling con job to try to sell ad space. The game is secondary to me. You're going to tell me how a guy hits against lefties. An algorithm is only as good as being able to account for all the variables equally. All right? So you're going to tell me, this guy hits this way against lefty. So you're going to say that you're going to, you're going to grade the guy, the way the guy hits against lefties, if he hits against Lester versus that Hector guy on the Sox, and say it was the same thing? I mean, it's just one big buildup. It's a cottage industry that Sabermetrics has invented. I was telling your friend I played ball to the minor league level. I had guy friends that won World Series going back to the 80s and the late 80s. I spent time in dugouts locker rooms, you couldn't pay me today to sit next to Joe Madden on the bench and watch a game. Instead of having Steve Stone talk about a game on TV, he shills a bobblehead. <laughs> I mean, what the heck has happened to the sport? Paul, Paul you're right up my alley. i got to let you go. I want to make sure I get to the other <laughs> caller. Yeah, Sox math. I've been, I've been railing on it for two years. Oh, no. Here One we go. Worst things ever happened you in the history uh, of broadcasting. Oh, you should have heard Paul's story about his great split finger that he throws, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. You ever tried throwing a split finger back in the day playing fast pitch? I got or small hands. Like like I've never been able to grip a split well, finger. With a, with a rubber ball, it was easier. Yeah, because never of rubber. been able yeah. to do it. It was fun. And when you, when you get the one that would actually drop, it was awesome. The rest of it would bounce like four feet in front of the wall when you were playing fast pitch. One more call. Let's go to Naperville and Rufus. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Rufus, what's Hello. up? Not much. Uh, I just wanted to complain a little bit about the Sox hitting. I mean, how long is it going to take, Fred, until we – I like Adam Engel and DeMonico, Delmonico. They seem like good guys, but they're not major leaguers, and neither is this Thompson. And we got that Rutherford batting over 350. I know he's at single A, and we also have uh, – Basabi, when are these Jimenez? When are they going to come up? Well, and Rufus, I appreciate the call. We're running short, but they're not going to rush any of these guys. They're in no hurry. Uh, they're the third worst record in baseball right now. They're not trying to lose, but they're not going to bring these guys up and ruin them. You're going to see guys like Jimenez maybe up later in the season. Kolpak might be up later in the season. By the way, today, if you go to MIB, MILB, that's uh, basically the minor league baseball. Sure. Kopech's going for Charlotte. Ian Larkin, a guy they got, or Ian Clarkin, I'm sorry, a guy they got from the Yankees. He's pitching for Birmingham, and Dylan Cease is pitching for Winston-Salem. So keep track of the minor leagues for the White Sox today. Oh, and by the way, the big club does play on the south side. It'll be James Shields going against the Twins. Shields pitched great the other day, gave up a leadoff homer, and it was really good for six innings. We come back. Nick Friedel is in New Orleans. We're going to talk hoops because the Pelicans try to tie up their series with Golden State. We'll see if that can happen. Get Nick's opinion on that and much more. 312-332-3776. Chris Black, Fred Hubner till noon on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. LeBron with five. Across the timeline with four. LeBron on the left wing. Drives. Runner for the win. Big it in. LeBron James delivers at the buzzer. And the Cavaliers win game three. 105 to 103 as they mob LeBron James under the rim to the left here at the kill. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Hey, that LeBron guy's pretty good. As uh, the Cavaliers go up three games to none, and we didn't we didn't mention Boston does too. I, I don't know if it shows you, Chris. Before we get to mm-hmm. our guy Nick Friedel, he's in New Orleans. Nicky, you know. Sipping on a Sazerac or something. Um, but does this show just how bad the East was? Because you have Boston. You have Boston without Kyrie. They're up 3 nothing against Philadelphia. You have Toronto who wins the East. And they're down 3 nothing to Cleveland. And, you know, it just, it, it, it kind of shows. And I never had faith in Toronto ever. And not that I'm, not that I'm the NBA expert. That's why I have you and Nick Friedel. Yeah. But it just—I think it just goes to show you exactly how bad the East was, and it also, to me, and I know you may disagree with me here, that the Philadelphia 76ers process is longer than five years, because at this point it doesn't appear they're going to get to an Eastern Conference championship. Well, unless they win four straight. Since they started tanking, it's only been four. Okay, uh, and I would say to this point, it's paid off because they are in the conversation now. Whether or not they perform when they get on the big stage, that's a whole different story. Because Ben Simmons is not playing like the Ben Simmons we saw at the end of the season. No, he's not. And it, you know, the one thing I kept coming to while watching the Raptors, while watching the Seventy Sixers in these first two series, in, in both series combined, 
is one word, confidence. And I think to answer your question about the East being bad, it's not necessarily that they're so bad, but it's so strange to see teams just wilt uh-huh. and have no confidence and not even try and get under LeBron's skin in the Raptors. Like, they're not even challenging him. And right. the 76ers, I get it, they're young, and they have not performed to the way that we saw them perform in the regular season. All. But I think the major difference between those two teams, the 76ers in the playoffs in this series against the Celtics, and what we saw in the regular season is confidence. They had their chests out. They were beating their chests. They were swag all the way. They were throwing alley-oops. They were playing like they knew they were good. And that has disappeared because Brad Stevens and the Celtics have been so impressive. Here's a man that has swag. It is our guy in New Orleans, Nick Friedel. Hello, Nick. Nick? Good morning, guys. Yeah, How he's got doing? he's got swag. Yeah, he's he got does. his own version of swag. I've seen him in the hey, club. Hey, Freddie, Freddie, Freddie. <laughs> the only person out of like twenty six ESPN people to pick the Celtics and the Cavs to get through this round is the person you're speaking to right now on the phone. Well, you know the about o- that. You know the only reason you did that because you were one of the guys on the list that didn't pick uh the the New Orleans Pelicans to win and they posted that list and you were one of the all 26 went with Portland to win in that first round series. It, yeah, everybody messed that one up, but yeah. uh rest assured if uh if Boston and and Cleveland can finish these out, I'll be uh I'll be posting uh some sort of reminder that I actually hit one for for once. Here. There you go. There you go. So uh, the game three, uh, playoff Rondo again, 21 assists. Uh, they seem to get a little chippy at times. That's right up Rondo's alley, chippiness. He loves that. Uh, what did you see, and do you think they can do it again in game four? Uh, I don't think they can do it again today, Freddie. I'd be surprised uh, because I think Golden State is going to come out and go, all right, uh, it's time to get rolling here. Uh, as far as Rondo goes, this is exactly the kind of style that he loved. <laughs> he loved uh, talking a little trash and getting in people's faces and, and moving the ball around. So this is this is peak Rondo. You know, he he he, he and Alvin Gentry have kind of brushed off the playoff Rondo moniker in recent weeks, but it's like everyone else around them knows just how how much he raises the level of his game uh, once once that playoff stage begins. So uh, I, I think that they they are playing with confidence. You guys mentioned the confidence the playoff teams have to have. New Orleans, New Orleans has to go into this series and they believe they could win. Uh, I don't think that view was shared by the rest of the world, but uh, internally – their thought was always, we're not going to change who we are just because Golden State plays the same style uh, that we do. So uh, they have held to that. They're pushing the tempo whenever they can, and they're feeding off the energy within this New Orleans crowd. So uh, I think it's going to be a fun game today. Uh, it'll probably be uh, one of those back-and-forth contests, but in the end, I'd expect Golden State to pull away. So you mentioned Rondo and the antics that he's brought to the table in this series. Uh, two things from the last game in Game 3. One, he tried to trip Draymond Green as they were both walking back to the timeout. And two, there's video going around that Steph Curry went up for a jump shot, and on the way down, intentionally, Rondo stuck his foot underneath Curry's feet to try and have him land on his foot after the jump shot. Has the league... Anyone else talked about Rondo with the dirty tactics in Game 3? 
I don't believe so, Chris. Uh, you know, I I know that is that is big for social media fodder. I have not heard of any kind of uh, league inquiry into that stuff yet. But I mean, you know, go back into game two. Rondo's taking uh, the ball from the ref, and he's rubbing all his sweat all over it to hand it back to Draymond uh, before he shoots the second shot. So. The guy has been in a ton of big games in his career. He knows how to get under people's skin. And in that regard, he's been great for this Pelican squad because most of these guys are very young. They haven't had this kind of experience on this stage. Uh, so he's been helpful uh, for them in a lot of ways. And uh, you know, I actually wrote a big story on Rondo this morning. And uh, the, the key for him is that you know he, he said, I think they're pushing – veterans out of the league quicker than they ever have in the NBA. And I thought it was an intriguing point because uh, there aren't a lot of guys like him who are able to teach the younger guys about solid habits throughout the year. So, uh, you know, Rondo, he's had his ups and downs the last few years. He he didn't finish well in Dallas at all. Uh, But the last few teams he's been on, Sacramento, in Chicago with the Bulls, and then in New Orleans, he is beloved probably guys on that roster. And he's beloved for all the reasons we've we've hit on so far. I mean, not only because of the way he plays, but the way he carries himself uh, on and off the floor and what he's able to give back uh, from what he's learned in the past. So from game two to game three, Steph Curry was outstanding in game two. In game three, he had 19 points in 29 minutes, didn't have nearly the impact he had in game two. What did you see from Steph Curry from game two to game three? I just don't think he's got his legs under him yet, uh, Chris, because he uh, he found that rhythm early at Oracle, and he seemed to feed off of everybody going nuts around him. But they got uh, back to New Orleans, and they were just uh, keeping a hand in his face all the time. They're running different people at him. It's the same thing that a lot of teams have tried to do with Steph over time. Now, he still had 19, but I think he was like 6 for 19 from the floor. So uh, he's got to pick his spots a little bit better. Uh, you got to remember, of course, that you know this is just his third game in about six weeks as he's recovered from that MCL sprain. So he's still trying to uh, catch his rhythm. But once he gets uh, into a couple shots here this afternoon, I'd expect it to space everything out for everybody else. So uh, that was that was why New Orleans they did such a good job on Friday. Not only running up and down the floor offensively, but defensively, they were the team that had that extra edge. And I'd expect Golden State to come out and really try to get Steph involved uh, to start. Uh, And I think that will relax everybody else around him uh, and around them and get them rolling uh, where they need to be. New Orleans is such a great place. They usually don't need anything to get the people in the neighborhood uh, excited. Uh, But how excited are they about this Pelicans team? It's it's a party, Freddie, but it's always a party. <laughs> right? I thought Alvin Gentry had a great quote the other night. He said, look, this is New Orleans. He's, he's like, I can feel people getting behind us. I can feel that people are into it. But whether we win or lose, they're going to party either way. <laughs> so the key for the Pelicans will be, can they sustain this over time? And that's what nobody has the answer to right now. But I promise you, if they go out and win today in what will surely be another sellout, and a rocking environment, all the pressure in the world goes to Golden State uh, going into Game 5 in Oakland. So, uh, you know, I still don't think Golden State is afraid they're in any kind of danger here, even if they were to lose today, because they have 
so much talent on that roster. But as far as the, the emotions involved, if you're New Orleans and you've been trying to find this identity for years, you feel like finally you have a group that can maybe get you there. And, and uh, you know, Chris, Chris and I have gone back and forth on what New Orleans does in the summer, and they're going to have a, another spot uh, for a max slot. I don't think they should re-sign Boogie Cousins, and I think there's more momentum to do just that, to not re-sign them than there's uh, maybe been in the past. So if you've got somebody else in here, notably a guy like Paul George or Kawhi or somebody else to pair with what they've already got in place, all of a sudden, New Orleans can be a very, very dangerous team in the West. But all that momentum that they've been building, they've got to continue to build upon that. The only way to do that in the NBA is to go out and win. DeMarcus Cousins is is really good, but I think this playoff run has solidified that they need to go faster instead of a little bit slower with Cousins on the court. Don't you agree? I agree completely. Uh, with with Cousins, he's like one of those throwbacks to the 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 Shaq Hakeem era. I mean, he can shoot it a little bit better from the outside, but you've got to play at a slower tempo. And if I've heard Alvin Gentry say it once in the last week and a half, guys, I've heard him say it. You know, 37 times. They want to play fast. They don't want to stop at all. They want to get the ball up and down the floor. I mean, they want uh, the the pace and space that we've heard so much about around the league, especially Bulls fans when Fred Hoiberg was hired. They want to get up and down, and they want to score you know, 120 on everybody. I, I thought it was really intriguing. I got a whole bunch of stats from the ESPN stats and information people, and the Pelicans, they are the, the most offensively efficient team uh, in the postseason, especially at home. I mean, their rankings are off the charts. They're, they're averaging like 123 a game. They're shooting like something crazy, like 47% from the field at Smoothie King Arena. So everything's falling into place for this group uh, because of the style and the tempo that they're using, uh, and, and even more so without cousins on the floor okay nick that's enough basketball i we know you got to leave in a minute or two i wanted to make sure we got to this chris enough Black, basketball yeah all right well, well no just for this all right, all right, we got more to talk about all right go but ahead. but chris black found this earlier uh there's a guy in you heard you say oh, fond du lac yes, fond du lac, yes. Yeah. the man who's uh he had his 30th 1000th cheeseburger his big mac yesterday in fond du lac 30,000 big macs in his life our question is can you compete with this man? <laughs> you want to know a fun fact? I was going to tweet it, but I figured this would come up. I don't think I've ever eaten a Big Mac in my life. What? Not one. You don't know what you're missing. That special sauce? Big Mac. Because all I ever ate growing up when I went to McDonald's was I had two cheeseburgers, just ketchup. Uh, and, and I stuck with it. And then once I got older and I realized that there were higher quality meats uh, out there in the uh-huh. world. Then I just would eat a cheeseburger with only ketchup, just uh, with uh, <laughs> a little better ingredients than yeah. I, I ate growing up. But uh, I have—I don't believe I've ever actually eaten uh, a whole Big Mac in my life. His what? name is uh, Don Gorski from yeah. Fond du Lac. He's 64. He started eating Big Macs in 1972. And today, yesterday, he uh, got to the 30,000th Big Mac Plateau. How, how do you even count that many? That's what I was wondering, you, like, yeah. 
Well, I think Come he's on, a, uh, a bit of a collector because during a tornado, we read a lot about this yeah. story. Uh, during a tornado, he lost 7,000 styrofoam boxes from the Big Macs in a uh, disaster during oh, the tornado. Man. That was the worst part. The roof going off was not as big as the 7,000 styrofoam containers that he lost. Yep. Look, I'm all for cheeseburger love, guys. It has defined my existence through my <laughs> 34 years of life so far. But that is that is some next level stuff right there. Okay, what, I don't know if I'd be counting Big Mac boxes. Okay, one last question. We'll let you go. We know you got stuff to do. You're a busy man. Um, it, it, you look at it when you order a burger. See, when I order a burger, I say leave all the healthy stuff off. I don't want any tomatoes. I don't want any lettuce. Okay, yeah. I just want the bun and the yes. meat and uh, cheese or whatever. Uh. You said ketchup. Is that still the way you order it at Oshaval? Absolutely. I throw a little ketchup on. Now, Oshavall's burger is so damn good that it doesn't even really need anything else. I don't, Freddie, I'm with you, though. I don't like any of the extra stuff. Yeah. I don't like the bacon. I don't like the, the sauces. I want meat, cheese, bun. And if you have the freshest ingredients and everything is, is, is great uh, from the meat perspective, you don't really need anything else. So. So, yeah, I mean, you yeah. save the ketchup for the fries, baby. Yeah, meat, cheese, bun. That's going to be, next time you see Nick Friedel, he'll have that on his shirt. <laughs> meat, period, cheese, period, bun, period. That's it. Oh, Nick, man. thanks for jumping on in. We'll talk to you soon. All right, you got it. See you guys. Nick Friedel, how's that? We got to get that shirt. Meat, cheese, bun. And we're still looking for the local folk hero, Dan Gorski from Fond du Lac to call into today's show. Uh, Eric was trying to uh, book him, uh, unsuccessful at this point to uh, land a Dan, uh, Don Gorski and all of his Big Macs. Uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, they're projecting out the, the next plateau at four forty thousand Big Macs. Uh, they projected to come in 2032. Jeez. He's only gone eight days without since 1972, where he has not had a Big Mac. Eight days. Does it make you want to get a Big Mac today? It does not. To honor, I I might go to McDonald's for uh, some nuggets. Yeah, some chicken nuggets. But uh, I like that they order that they serve breakfast. Most of them serve breakfast because my the uh, the sausage McMuffin with egg is my is my go to. That or the burritos in the car on Sunday morning. I pull up at 6 o'clock or 6.15 yeah. at uh, the one in uh, Darien on Plainfield, and I get my two sausage burritos, nothing else. It's $2.19. Pretty good. I know exactly how much I got, and I can eat them in the car. Traveling food is always yes, good. That is good. And, yeah. you know, I see, here's why I don't Big Mac. It's the special sauce. I'm not a big fan of the special sauce. Yeah. Two all V patties, special sauce. No, the, the patties cheese. are fine. See, Everything there's else is cheese fine. on that too. And like I said, I I just don't do the special sauce. That's see, just how I roll. The one disagreement I have with Nick, mm-hmm. mine would be meat, cheese, yes, bacon, bun. He said no bacon. Yeah, which surprised I, me. He's out of his mind. Yeah. I was at uh, Howells and Hood yesterday. Yes, I had the bacon burger. Uh-huh. It was awesome yes. because the bacon was almost as thick as the burger. There itself. you go. It yeah. was so good. You got it's got to be. If there's bacon, you've got to have bacon on the burger. Can you believe that place is closing? No, October. I can't. Yeah, I know. It's a shame. It's like the only place in the city where you can take a dog and sit on the patio. Yeah, downtown. Hey, maybe we'll have to meet again for the World Cup since nobody else will be there yeah. watching the World Cup. What is but it, all the uh, games are early. Well, the first games every day are seven. Okay. Seven in the That's morning. Not too bad. Seven, ten, and uh, seven, ten, and one. Uh, so, like, I may have to take a Sunday off in June because uh, Germany plays Mexico at 10 o'clock 
and I will not be interested in anything we're talking about for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we're talking about Germany, well, Mexico at that, that, you know, that we, point. We have a couple minutes here, Fred, and uh, you and I have, uh, I don't know if it's intentionally or we just wanted to keep listeners, but we have not talked about horse racing no, we to haven't. this point. Um, but I, I would like to know at some point uh, throughout the summer if soccer talk is more annoying than the horse talk. And I don't think it's even close. I think horse talk runs away with it. They turn the corner and they, they, they take it all the way into the lead and whatever. Whatever horse people say. But, I mean, did you watch any of the derby yesterday? You know, I watched some of the pre-derby stuff. Did you have a box, a uh, super factor, or whatever? What do you got? Uh, I, you, had, I had. You, got, you take had, all the numbers, you throw yeah. them on a board, and then you say you got a box, and I you got this, bets. that, and the other. I had win bets and a. I had one. So you win actually bets. gambled yesterday. Yeah. I had two win bets, and I had an exact, uh, an exact box, three horses, exact box. My wife had two win bets and two show bets because she just wanted to collect something. Okay. And we, we were 0 for $26. Show is, uh, what? First, second, or third. Okay. Yeah. So you get, if your horse runs first, second, or third, you get money. So we didn't have any of that. We didn't bet the favorite mainly on purpose, even though for the sixth year in a row, the favorite won. Yeah. Justified. Yeah. And for those who missed it. Justified. A two late lead as they come to the final 16th. Now, see, that's another problem with horse racing, too. The damn the, the 124.02. Come on. It used to just be the seconds. Now they're getting to tenths of seconds and hundredths of seconds. You don't need to do that. I was watching the NBA that's playoffs. Awful. I was yeah, watching basketball. I, I had Sorry. it on. I had it on. I was listening to Tariko do some of the pre uh, the pre race stuff, and uh, they were you know they were making uh, tacos on Cinco de Mayo and oh, had, letting yeah. everybody eat some and watching sure. how hard it was raining and mm-hmm. things like that. And then I went to the fire game. So you know I you know <laughs> I, well I, uh, so so here here's the thing though I understand that people tune in to watch it. It's an event. And in today's DVR streaming society, yeah. any live event will have eye-popping good numbers for TV ratings. Sure. I get that. I get that people enjoy dressing up. I get that people enjoy parties. I get all of that. Let's be real. No one really cares about horse racing. Well, you know. No, no one does. And well, that, that's Olchick. the case. I don't, I don't, want, I don't yes, want Eddie to call. He, he works in yeah, the industry. That's right. different. I'm yeah. talking about regular folk like myself. The, no, you know what? They lost all of the young people. Okay. Well, uh, we're still waiting for that triple crown horse to come and save the day. Yeah, I know. I, I can't, oh, wait. There was one. A, a right. I can't convince ago? you. Okay. You either like horse racing or not. And I see, I grew up in Cicero where there was Hawthorne and Sportsman. Sportsman's Park ran harness horses, and the Hawthorne ran both harness and thoroughbreds. So we would walk there. My dad would give us money. We would. Uh, we, he would drop us off, but then he'd make us walk home. <laughs> we lived on 26th in Austin, okay? Austin is like Sounds 60. like a punishment. Yeah, I know. Austin is like 600 West. And uh, we lived on 26th Street. The track is on Laramie and 33rd. <laughs> so we had a good mile and a half walk. And we'd win, and we'd be walking under the viaduct on Austin Avenue, back going back home, and we'd get home at, like, midnight and go to school <laughs> the next day. This yeah. was, I, I was in high school, and they would take your bets. 
And then if you won, they would ask you, well, how old are you? And I'd say, as old as I was when you gave me the ticket. Sure. And then they would look at me and pay me off. Right. You know? So my brother and I, we'd go to the track all the time. So we're big track guys. Uh, we like Harness more just because we did actually have to go to school. So Arlington, right. you know, thoroughbreds right. always run during the day. Yeah, I know. So we yeah. were more into harness racing. But uh, we'll go a couple times a year. We we have, we have are interested. I love the Breeders' Cup more than the Kentucky Derby. I was shocked when I went to the OTB in Hodgkins where the Salernos is. Um, I went to pick up pizza and make a few bets. And it was packed. They had a band uh, playing uh, classic rock music in the in the parking lot. People were drinking their beer. They were all lining up for tickets and all for one race. Now, if half of those people would become racing fans, no the racing chance. industry would be okay. No in shot. The, in the last five years, Balmoral mm-hmm. has closed harness racing. Maywood has closed harness racing. Hawthorne runs harness and thoroughbred and Arlington. That's it. Yeah. And there was a time where there was Maywood, Balmoral, Sportsman's, Hawthorne, Arlington. There were five tracks. Now there's two that mm-hmm. run in the town. And with the OTBs, they don't get big crowds. I was... In 1972, 73, I was at Sportsman's Park. They had 40,000 fans on a Saturday night for horse racing. Was Don Gorski there? Uh, he may have been. That's when his run for the Big Mac started. The closest for the McDonald's. Let's see. The closest McDonald's was somewhere <laughs> down Laramie, I think. So maybe he was there. And uh, uh, Okay, one last thing on the horses. Uh, we where, got a lot of stuff in the last half hour. I want to ask you about Becky Hammond you, and a lot of stuff. Where do you stand on this uh, horses are athletes nonsense? Uh, jockeys are athletes. Uh, horses, horses are, they're technically athletes, but they're horses. Though. Yeah, they are horses. They, they don't, just, they don't have thumbs. No, they don't. They just run. Yeah. That's it. That, but that's, that's an athlete. That's yeah. all it takes in your book. Uh huh. Right. It's, it's horses are athletes. I mean, yeah, these, not in the these, same, these horse people. Yeah. I they're mean, not on the same. Yeah. Not necessarily. It's a did pack. you know, did you know that all horses uh, get a year older on January 1st? It's not like they were born in May, but... Wait, wait, what? Yeah. Say that again? They what? get a year older on... So right. they're all born on the same day? All yeah. horses? Well, no, they're not born on the same day, but their birthdays are all... they. You become from a two-year-old to a three-year-old, okay. you always... You go... You advance on the on January 1st. So do horses not have birthdays? Maybe just for the owners. Those birthday parties got to be lit. All of them at once. <laughs> a lot of hay. Yeah. A lot so, of oats and hay. Baby. Anybody that's a two-year-old, Had. they become three-year-olds in January 1st. They become four-year-olds in January 1st. Five-year-olds, hmm. six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and all that stuff. And some a point that was pointed out, uh, just so everybody knows, you can only run the Kentucky Derby once. It's, it's for three-year-olds. Yes. They right. can only run it one time. Right. There's a lot of stats that were pointed out during the course of the week. We come back. I get all this stuff. <laughs> I get all this stuff. You know, we got there's a player in the NHL that's licking people. Okay. And we've got all a right. we got a fountain Haven't getting turned on. Haven't we done on. enough uh, ancillary sport talk for today? We got a fountain getting turned on today. We have Becky Hammond maybe getting inter- or get definitely getting interviewed for the Bucks. We get all kinds of oh, stuff. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. And later today we've got Warriors Pelicans at two. We've got Cubs and Cardinals at seven. We get all kinds of stuff here on ESPN one thousand. This is Chicago's game day only on ESPN one thousand and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner. We're out of here at noon. Don't forget today it'll be Hoops, Warriors, Pelicans. Game four coming up at 2 o'clock. 
And then baseball, we were fortunate enough to have Matt Vaskersian on earlier today. He'll be on the TV call on ESPN with Jessica Mendoza and Alex Rodriguez as the Cubs try to get a win and salvage a game in the series with the Cardinals. They've lost four in a row. It'll be John Lester against Michael Waka. And um, we'll have the uh, radio call right here on ESPN beginning at 7 o'clock. Chris, you're, you're uh, one of my Mr. Basketballs. I have like four or five. You're, you're not guys that like were Mr. Basketball in the state of Illinois. No, or I wasn't. No, no you're far, like far from that. You're actually. like my Mr. Basketball when I lead basketball information. I go so you're to you. cheating on me. You said I'm one of the one guys. of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, between you and right. Hood, you and Hood, and I don't know if Nick would be my Mr. Basketball, but I, you know, he's Is that there. A shot. <laughs> he's there. <laughs> he tries. Yeah, Come he on. does. He does. Um, but. You look at it, and the Milwaukee Bucks are interviewing, I think, as many as 10 people for their head coaching job. Yeah. And Becky Hammond, who was an assistant on the Spurs, mm-hmm. is being interviewed. And I guess she interviewed also for the GM job up there a while back. So they know who she is. I mean, they've, all, they've talked with her in the past. Do you think, and if you want to jump in, 312-332-3776, do you think the NBA is ready for a female head coach? Yes. Uh, This year, probably not. And the the reason being is she's the fourth assistant on uh, POP staff in San Antonio. And so uh, I know that um, some people have, maybe backlash is the wrong way to put it, but some NBA people have just pointed out that one singular fact. That she's fourth, the fourth that, assistant? Yeah, that she's okay. the fourth assistant. And it's pretty unusual for a fourth assistant to then get a head coaching gig without ever having head coaching experience or being the second person on the bench okay. at any time in their career. Now, I... I I see both sides, right? Because the other side could say, well, if you don't get the opportunity to do that, how sure. do you ever get said experience? Yeah. But I, I think the the next step for Becky Hammond will be Pop has the possibility of losing two assistants this offseason because other assistants are going for the Charlotte job. And uh, I think there's another gig that's open that's uh, interviewing one of Pop's assistants. Okay. So next season, she might be the second person on his staff. At that point, I think then you could make the argument that she should definitely be in the conversation to get one of these head coaching jobs. Um, it's probably too early for that, but it's fantastic she's going to get the interview opportunity yeah. because she's a brilliant mind. And if you've read anything um, about her story and what she's done and how she works with the Spurs and how everything goes, I think uh, it will be fantastic. I think it's smart for the Bucks to interview her, and I think at some point you will get a woman who is a coach of an NBA team, and she is probably that person. What do you think would be her biggest hurdle to climb if she got became a head coach in the NBA? The older generation of NBA players that are on the teams. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because because if you because if you say Milwaukee Bucks. Will this work with Becky Hammond going forward? I would say Giannis Antetokounmpo, he probably will buy in. Jabari Parker, if he's still there, he probably will buy in. I think young guys in the game probably don't have as big of an issue, if they have an issue at all, that maybe someone who's been around the league for a long time, who's maybe a little bit more close-minded than some of the young guys, Right. I could see that being an issue. Right or wrong, we could probably point out that that could be an issue. I think young guys coming into the league know that the NBA leads um, by example when it comes to all social issues, 
with equality and with uh, allowing their players to be themselves and allowing the league to be itself. And I think that adds so much to the growth of popularity with the NBA. So I think young players would not have a problem. I think if there is a problem, don't you think it would be the older guard, the people who've been wrong around the game for a long time and say, well, we, this is what I'm comfortable with this, that, and the other, you know, like well, sometimes, you know, sometimes change takes time. Yeah. You know, me and, and my, my love for the younger generation. Yeah. You just can't, you can't <laughs> wait to come sit with Abdallah and I when Abdallah <laughs> decides to show up on Sunday mornings. No, but you guys, you guys, you know, I told someone this the other day. I said, I learned from you guys, and you guys learned from me, I think, even if you would never admit it. No, uh, we do, yeah, for but, sure. But I think that some of the young guys, see, I think egos sometimes can get out of hand. And I'm not sure if the older players, I'm not sure who's got the bigger egos, the older players or the younger players. If I look at the Sixers, is J.J. Redick have a bigger ego than Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? I don't know. And I think some of the players with the bigger egos might have a hard time taking instruction from a woman. Now, what they should realize is if she knows her stuff and she's qualified, it's not like Mike Fratello played the game, okay? Sure, right. Right. You don't have to say, well, you never played the game. Jeff Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, they weren't uh, like, you know, they weren't players. No, I mean, they played in college. And I mean, listen, Becky Hammond had a fantastic career in the WNBA. She was incredible in college basketball. I mean, and and I think that's where it goes to... um, Basketball is basketball, right? right? And like, if you and women's basketball is the same as as men. Yeah, I mean, is. they run the same thing. They're mm-hmm. not going to slam dunk, but they're still going to shoot the three. They're going to do pick and rolls. They're going to run the offenses, the defenses, all those things. You know, you listen to Candace Parker on TV talk about the NBA and break down the NBA, and she is better than ninety five percent of people talking about the NBA. Right. You listen to Doris Burke last night on national television, better than everyone else who's breaking down basketball. So. Just because you're a man or a woman doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you know basketball. And Becky Hammond is qualified. I just think it would be unusual for someone who's not a second or third assistant to get a head coaching job the first time they start interviewing for spots. Will she probably be the first head coach who's a woman in the NBA? Yeah, probably. Will it happen in the next couple of years? Probably. Um, And especially if Pop loses the majority of his assistants this year because of the openings in Charlotte and other places, like I mentioned, then that moves Becky up. And now she is a first or second assistant to one of the best coaches of all time. And boom, now you're looking next off season. You know, I mean, I, I think it is brilliant for the Milwaukee bucks to interview her. And you know, the only way you get the opportunity to get better at the interview is by doing the interview. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like that's the only way it's going to work and eventually she'll get through. I know this is a very sensitive topic, but do you think there's any chance that after the tragedy and Pop's wife passing away that he steps away from the game? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think there's also there was talk that maybe this was going to be his last year to begin with before right. it happened. Sure. And I think what's gone on with Kawhi Leonard may have to do with some of this that like I, Pop and the Spurs saw this as the end of everything, it all crescendoed to this moment. And the moment that Kawhi seemed to not buy in, uh-huh. it's like, does he really want to deal with this going forward? Right. And, you know, who knows? A lot of things could change in San Antonio going forward. Pop, does he come back? We all assume he will, but what if he doesn't? 
Kawhi Leonard could be traded this offseason because if the Spurs don't want to deal with him and not give him the long contract sure. based on what has happened with his hamstring, I, I could see a lot of changes with the Spurs coming up in this offseason, which is shocking because usually you set it and forget it. The Spurs are like that yeah. uh, rotisserie chicken oven. You just you just assume right. they're going to be good every single you year, do. and you assume there won't be drama. And for some reason this year, there was drama that we haven't seen in San Antonio before. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Let's go to, uh, quickly, let's go out to Sherrillville and Rudy. Rudy, you're on ESPN 1000. What's going on? Morning, boys. Uh, Freddie, I got a comment and a question. Um, I'm an old guard like you, so would you get time? Would you convince my good friend Chris that uh, Scotty Pippen is not as good as Larry Bird? My question for you, though, is would Becky Hammond, would Be- would Becky Hammond be accepted easier than Gino Oriema? That's a good question. Um, I think Gino has had some experience with the men's uh, Olympic team, no? With Coach K and all those guys? Hasn't he been a part of that at some point? Yeah, I don't know if he's been like an assistant on the staff, but I think he's... He's been at those camps with like Thibodeau and everyone else who's all a part of it. I I think the answer is it's going to be Becky Hammond because she's working in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Go ahead, Rudy. No, that would be my opinion too. Since she's had, uh, you know, experience with, with the NBA. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. With you. Pretty, but convince Chris about Larry Bird. Would you please? <laughs> I, I will. Right. I will. I don't think it was actually. I don't think it was Chris. I think it was. Uh, it was Cap. Well, no, I. But I think it was uh, Zetterman. Was this? yeah. They were, well, all right, we'll get into that in one second. Um, I just want to point out that, like, a name that keeps coming up for coaching searches and an example of someone working within the NBA ranks to then get the next opportunity, one of those people, that should be Jerry Stackhouse. Uh-huh. Jerry Stackhouse has worked on NBA benches. He's gone down and coached in the uh, D-League. He is a guy who's primed and ready for a head coaching slot in the NBA. So right. I... Anytime you give me someone who's not currently working in the NBA over someone who is, I'm going to go with the person who's in the league because coaching in college basketball is completely different than coaching in the NBA. So it wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense for Becky Hammond to coach a G League team. And no, I mean coach. that could be yeah, that could be. You a think step. that would make I mean, yeah, because she's been in, that's she's already been in the NBA. Stackhouse has done that. Right, he's gone down to the D League and he's been a head coach now in the D League. And I think that is relatable. I don't okay. think coaching in college is as relatable. I think you've seen a couple outliers be very successful from going from college to the NBA. Yeah, I don't for, like it. For the most part, it's it's completely different. End of game situations, how to use timeouts, how to manage egos. It's completely different, college and the NBA. Okay, Larry Bird, the whole conversation with Larry Bird was about LeBron James. It right. wasn't necessarily Pippen and LeBron. It's from Friday because Cap wanted to tell me and yell at me that Larry Bird is better and would do this and that to the other to LeBron. And all I kept saying to Cap is, how is Larry Bird going to guard LeBron James? Yeah, I heard you. Uh, and LeBron wouldn't be able to cover Bird either. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. I, I mean, what Bird did, but the, the the thing that Rudy said was, yeah. Uh, sorry, Bulls fans. Larry Bird was better than Scottie Pippen. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, I, he was. Yes, Pippen was great as well, though. Pippen was a really, really, really good defender. Sure. When it comes to offense, it's not, it's not even. They're not even in the same ballpark. Now, they're not you, even close. You could maybe make the argument that Pippen would have had MVPs and better stats if Jordan wasn't around. I understand that because. When Jordan wasn't here, he was an MVP candidate. He did great things for the Chicago Bulls by himself. Yes, he did. Um, 
they didn't win. But, but yeah. like the context of the conversation on Friday was if you put together your starting five, your right. all-time starting five, and some people were saying Pippen because he brings you so much defensively, where Cap was, it's only Larry Bird. That's the only small forward I would ever want. Yeah, and got, then you know it's like, well, he can't guard LeBron. So. Yeah, you're not going to have a. I don't, you're not going to have a lot of defensive specialists unless they're averaging 25 points a game. On your on your best five, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying, and and Scotty Scotty's the closest of any of them, I think. But if I if I had the choice, Scotty or Larry Bird, Larry Bird was amazing. Yeah, I he mean, was. He was incredible. Yeah, and you know, and that's where I made the comment on Friday that LeBron would turn Larry Bird into dust, and I made a Avengers reference uh, towards the end of the new movie, and yes, then you got did. mad at me. And I did get thing. mad at you because I haven't I haven't seen it yet. I've got a quandary. Fred, it's everywhere. Come I've on, I've got now. a quandary. I know, and I've ignored all of it. Uh, <laughs> I've got a quandary because I haven't seen Black Panther yet either, and you know, not, some people have more time than others so i have to go see black panther before i asked my brother well why don't you see him back to back go to both i know i i just need that much time to to do nothing <laughs> and go to the show and maybe i can go to one and pay for one and sneak into the other oh that's that's a that's a solid trick i've never done that before I've always been that. tempted never have done it because i fast, just, fast five and the hangover three or hangover two whichever one it's back the, to back it's the absolute only time i ever quote seinfeld because Kramer said, that? Kramer said, without rules, there's chaos. And there's rules. So I don't break the, I try not to break the rules. Yeah, but movie theaters choose to not enforce those rules. I know. You're right. They do. Because if they were smart, they would have people yeah. standing out there and make sure everybody that leaves, leaves the theater leaves the theater. Yeah. I know. You're they don't right. do that. No, they don't do it. That's on them. We come back. We'll wrap things up. A couple more comments on different things. I've got. I mean, Fred, so it's the same here. way with like Chipotle napkins. Are they enforcing that you can't take a whole stack of napkins no, every time you go to Chipotle so then you don't actually have to buy napkins? Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to a Chipotle and taken the sauce, the hot sauce? Oh, because I mean, Come on. You, what is this? Uh, well, they have them you lined out there. You take the whole sauce? They have them laid out there. They're not in Please packets. tell me you bring it back. No, I've never taken one. Okay. At my college, they tempted. wouldn't leave them out anymore at <laughs> yeah. ISU because yeah. the hot sauce was just taken by yeah. every Tabasco, college student. Yeah. Yeah. Smoke Tabasco. They have, you them, got they, they have them right out there, and I'm saying, you know, I, I want some, but I don't want to open up my thing right here and put it on. Right. And I don't want to steal it either. You want a little dab with each bite. That's yeah. what I do. That would be nice. We come back. We'll wrap it up. It's Chris Black, Fred Hubner here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner. Some people earlier this week were a little surprised that Jason Witten decided to uh, stop playing in the National Football League and take twice as much money to work for ESPN and Monday Night Football. Are you more surprised that he's going to be on Monday Night Football or more surprised that uh, he's not playing football? I'm surprised that he's just getting the gig having never done it before. Yeah. I'm a little surprised by that. But I, if someone said to you, listen, you can play another season of football, make this much money, and get a beating, and you know maybe get another concussion or an injury or something like that. I know it's the sport you love. Or make twice as much money. And hang around the league and talk to players and then do games every Monday where the entire country's watching for twice as much money. There's not much of a choice there, is there? No, there's not. You uh, you don't take the beating. 
No. Uh, that's the easy solution. And then if you want to make it even even simpler, uh, you take the more money, yeah. no matter what that is. Well, and the other thing is, too, and I've mentioned this numerous times. I even said it uh, on the air yesterday when I was here with Murph. If people don't like the job we do on the radio or if I don't like the job that Jason Benetti and Steve Stone do or I don't like something, yeah. it's not their fault. People put them in those positions. That's true. Somebody yeah. hired them. Yeah. Someone doing, put us here. Yeah. Right. They're, we're doing yeah. the best we can do. It's not our fault. Okay. We're, you know, so we're, we're glad that Adam developed, Adam Delavitt allowed us to, to do these shows. And, but so, you know, if in fact Jason Witten struggles out of the box, like, you know, Tony Romo was, has done games late, you know, he moved right into a, a huge spot. Now, if, um, if Jason Witten struggles a little bit, it's not his fault. And, I think it's a, a risk, but because it's going to be Joe Tessitore, right? So it's going to be Tessitore and him. Yeah. So I, I was going to mention that uh, it's hard for me to believe that any broadcast that has Joe Tessitore won't be a fantastic yeah, broadcast he's really because good. he's the absolute best. Yeah. Um, I'm going to miss the Tess effect on my uh, Sunday night college football, but uh, if he can bring that magic, sprinkle that magic yeah. on Monday night football, that'll be fun. So he he's great. Uh, so I think it'll work because you know the key to Tessitore. Is he is good at highlighting his partner's strengths? Cool. So he he's really good at doing that. So I think it'll be a great broadcast. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait for uh, football season. Couple of baseball notes. Clayton Kershaw goes in the DL, left biceps tendonitis, and that's uh, never a good thing for a pitcher, as far as I know. Um, Phil Rogers posts the White Sox are going to keep their rotation pretty much the way it is. Which Cub fans get ready to be standing out on Waveland oh, uh, we next week? The, it'll be Carson Fulmer, Hector Santiago, and James Shields going. Fulmer gave up four homers, I think, the other day. Santiago gave up two or three yesterday, and James Shields is known for giving up the long ball. And there's a good chance of Wrigley Field next week. I'm just guessing, but I'll probably say the wind will be blowing out. <clears throat> so yeah. if you're, a, you know, one of those ball hawks, which I think, you know, first, first get a life. Second of all, if you don't First get a life get a by life. yeah, if, second of yeah. all, if you don't get a life by next week, stand on the street because you will get a lot more balls coming your way with Fulmer, Hector Santiago, and James Shields. Okay. I hope to be wrong, but I I don't think it will be. Okay, so then uh, Cubs and White Sox with with the pitchers that are going out there for the White Sox. What are, what are the odds? That I'm going to get a, take that, Black, the offense is back. It's not early. Here we go. Right? Like <laughs> a week like, from tomorrow. Yeah, there, there's right. going to be a whole lot of take that when the Cubs beat bad teams. Okay. Yeah. Miami and the White Sox. Right. Well, guess what? Then you have a four game set against the Braves. Yeah. Good luck to you. The Braves short, are very, very good. Guys. Yes, yes. Take that, Black. See, we told you. Now, let me ask you a question. At two mm-hmm. o'clock today, are you going to make a short walk from your place to, uh, to, um, the Buckingham Fountain? They're turning the fountain on today at two o'clock. Uh, no, no, no! I'm not going to do that. Okay, no, I run by there like every other day, Fred. So yeah. I'll just see it tomorrow. I love the fountain at night. Yeah, it's beautiful. With the lights, with all, all the, the lights, stuff. yeah, and the it's music. Don't cool. they play music over there at night? I think sometimes? they might. I think they might. You know what? They also do. They, I think they have it again this year. They have a beer fest around the, yeah. the fountain. I haven't been there yet, but I'm sure my guy. From a Church Street Brewing, Chet Brett. He can get me in. If nothing else, I'll pour his beer. And just in a way to get in for free to the next one. Uh, I want to thank Matt Vaskersian, who will be on the call tonight for the Cubs and Cardinals on ESPN TV. Jesse Rogers, Nick Friedel, Chris Black, as always, and Eric Ostrowski. Thanks for listening right here on ESPN 1000. Take that!